first rule in grip sport is you tell everyone about grip sport. You know, crushing, pinch grip, thick bar, wrists. If the best guy in the world can't lift 100 pounds on it, I, I don't give a shit about it. Welcome to the Grip Show, everybody. Um, as uh, you've heard on, let me think, episode four with Luke Raymond, and I believe episode six with Adam Glass, this person was mentioned, James Redoritas. So Luke mentioned um, reading your book, Strong Arm Tactics, about arm wrestling, and that helped him basically get to the point where with very little experience, to, I mean, like his first arm wrestling competition ever, he yeah. pretty much read your book and then went and like smashed a bunch of people in a competition, realized he might be kind of good at it. He actually came to my house. He was at a wedding out in, I think it was like the Charleston area. And he drove through Charlotte on the way back. And we had, we hosted a, a training and we had a bunch of people there and some people brought arm wrestling tables. And, and um, I had worked with, with, with Luke on some technical stuff because he was going to be going to a tournament. And I mean, Luke was Luke was a natural. Luke was one of the, the the few people that just got it right away. I think he's really good at learning things quickly, especially if it's a physical, tactile sort of thing. Um, he he just got it right away. I mean, he he felt really good. I mean, as far as non arm wrestlers that started arm wrestling, his he started his starting point was really high. Like Cody Burns was another guy who I, I went out to his place one time before he was. Uh, about to start arm wrestling and uh he was another guy who just kind of naturally had it not as coordinated as luke but 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 just naturally had the hand control and the wrist strength and stuff so uh but yeah yeah luke uh luke just hit the, he hit the ground running when it came to arm wrestling yeah so with uh luke kind of mentioning you in that sense and then like I said, there was some praise from Adam Glass in episode six mentioning your name, if anybody's not familiar um, with that episode. But Adam basically kind of mentioned you as the guy that wrote the book about the thing is kind of right. how he put it. Yeah. Like before before you wrote that book about arm wrestling, he said, you know, there was like books maybe that had to do with uh, exercises or how you could train for arm wrestling. But it wasn't about like what that other guy was going to do to you right. in the actual competition. If that makes the, sense. the book that was published late seventies, early eighties was arm wrestling for everyone by Ernie Jeffries, which I mean, I never read it. I saw some excerpts from it at certain points, but I mean, it was pretty basic. And um, I ended up, I had stopped arm wrestling in 2012 and I, I wrote the book and it's actually this coming month will be 10 years, uh, 2013 that, that uh, we had we had published it initially and uh, had hard copies available. Um, I get, I mean, even today, even though I haven't like, I went to it. I arm wrestled in a tournament in 2017 because Europa was here and uh, they had the national pro ams, and I ended up just jumping in the 220 masters class and I won that. And then I ended up like tangling pretty good match with Michael Todd, who was the number one seven, super heavyweight in the world at the time. In, in the overall, he and I had a good match. He ended up winning. And then uh, afterwards, I, there was like this resurgence of people saying, oh, man, you got to, you know, you got to rewrite it or you got to come up with a second edition or a text revision. So it's 10 years in and um, so much has happened in the last 10 years. 
uh, all different kinds of training equipment that wasn't available. Like uh, the only knocks I get in reviews usually are like, uh, oh, well, you could go and learn this on YouTube. And it's like, yeah, well, you couldn't in 2013. But but yeah, you can go and learn this on YouTube now. So, you know, when you started seeing the proliferation of, of videos on YouTube about how to arm wrestle, you know, um, my book started selling a lot less. I let it kind of go out of print. And, and now I just have the uh, Amazon Kindle version up, which, okay. you know, despite how many of those I sell, I make like hardly anything. I get this jokey, like residual check that isn't even worth me having to file my taxes for. But I do, you know, because I'm a good citizen or whatever. Oh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I've been, you know, uh, one of the guys that's actually working uh, on the documentary, uh, Mike Sybeck, uh that that I'm working with, um, he, um, he, he actually said, like, you know, he'd like to work on a, a, a second edition with me at some point. Um, right now, I'm just so busy, you know, with the counseling center and with the documentary. I've been doing a lot of work for that. It's. It, at some point, sure. I mean, the documentary is giving me a chance to write again, which has been mm-hmm. good. Uh, they they have me writing the um, uh, narration for it. Uh, so so it's kind of gotten my juices flowing and had me thinking about writing some more. So so but, yeah, I always appreciate that. Like, uh, you know, usually if I'm in public and somebody actually knows me like an event or something that I've I've never met, they say, oh, you were Juju Mufu's coach. Or they'll say, "Hey, you're the guy that wrote the Bible on arm wrestling," and okay. and I always I always appreciate that second one because at least they're acknowledging something I did, not some you know goofy video series. Yeah, so. uh, yeah it definitely makes sense. And uh, I guess for anybody that's maybe not aware, um, could you just kind of break down what? Uh, what it is you kind of do with like the counseling center and then that documentary that you mentioned, just kind of give us a a general rundown of kind of both those things. Right. So um, the, the, the empower house that I own, it's a center for self-efficacy and self-efficacy was a phrase coined by Albert Bandura, a uh, Canadian psychologist who actually just died this past year. He was a hundred years old. But he was one of the best psychologists of the 20th century. And in my opinion, one of the great Canadian thinkers of, of all time, you know, big Marshall McLuhan fan, too. So but um, but one of the things that Bandura talked about was that, you know, people tend to suffer from a lack of capacity, like their inability to do things, their inability to confront things or their avoidance of confronting things is what leaves them most open to depressive and, and, and anxious symptoms of anxiety. And um, so, so I mean, I the whole premise of this center is we're going to set goals in eight different aspects of your life. And we're going to, they're going to be, they're going to be smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, relatable, trackable goals. And they're going to be two to three month goals. They're nothing. We're not talking about five years from now. And they're going to be realistic goals that you can achieve. It's not a coin flip. Like you're pretty sure yeah. you can achieve this goal by this point. And it's like, man, the people who actually buy into the program, their life changes in a year. You know, uh, they can go from the person that's 
28 living in their mom's basement and playing video games eight hours a day, way more common story than you think, uh, to somebody that actually feels self-respecting and formidable in the world, you know, and, and, and I love that. It's the most meaningful kind of work that, that I've ever done. Um, I've, I've been in the, the field for more than a decade and, and I've always found traditional therapy to be somewhat limited. Uh, in that, you know, I'm just in a room sitting with and talking with somebody and it's like a lot can be accomplished, but it's limited as to what can be accomplished. And I think what I noticed in all my years, especially training people and stuff, it's like they're so much more apt to listen to what I'm telling them and take it to heart because they can see what I'm capable of doing. If I'm just sitting in a room with you, I'm just a guy talking. It's like, you don't know how I live outside of here, you know? I mean, but I'm also a very Rogerian therapist and, and, and one of the core conditions to Rogerian therapy is something called congruence. And when you are congruent, you are somebody who absolutely practices what you preach. You do what you say, you say what you do, and you're emotionally consistent. You're not all over the place, you know? And, um, you know, it's like if you can bring that to the table in therapy, that you are the person that, that you say you are. And people can actually see it because you can demonstrate it to them. You know, they're way more apt to to listen to you, you know, and, and I, I give them a goal sheet and I keep the same goal sheet. I always tell them, like, look, I know you think like I'm giving you all this homework or whatever, and I'm not forcing you to do anything. You're an adult. You make your own decisions. I'm just telling you that if you buy into this goal process you're going to be a different person. You're going to have a way people talk about balance. They never know what it really is. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, it is, it's investing in the different elements of your personality and different aspects of your life and, and really nurturing those, you know, and by nurturing, I mean, actually budgeting time to nurture those things, you know, so we'll set goals in eight different aspects of their life. And when they see themselves reaching these goals, they start, you know, adopting this, this live to learn approach. It's like, wow, I see myself growing. I can see myself. It's, it's like, you know, you, if you stare out the window and you watch grass grow, good luck, you know, you're going to be bored. Right. But if it rains and the sun comes out, you know, and and you just ignore it for four weeks, it's like, it's going to look like Vietnam in your front yard, you know, (laughs) it'd be uh, ducking bullets from Charlie out there, you know, 11 foot grass and all. And it's like, well, that's that's how progress happens in all aspects of our life. It just doesn't happen quickly. And in this day and age, and and I have a, I had a former colleague that used to call uh, the clients we see now as microwave babies on Ritalin, and that was her way of saying like instant gratification people. Mm-hmm. So fewer people are are willing to delay gratification, to to actually you know reap the benefits of of seeing how they can make sacrifices. And, and, and engage in a behavior that might be akin to suffering, but have benefits at the tail end of it that are so worth it, you know, and then they're so much more willing to make sacrifices in other parts of their lives. So, so that's, that's kind of what I do as, as at the, the, the center. What was the other question? No, the other thing was just, you had mentioned uh, the documentary and that kind of bringing oh, back yeah. maybe a passion for writing. If you could just give the listeners kind of a, I guess a little bit of an intro or background on the documentary, kind of what it would be right. covering and kind of why maybe you, you wanted to cover that or what your involvement with that documentary has been like. 
That, that, yeah, so, that was so yeah, um, I was uh, years ago, I had made a post and it was essentially like, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about writing little uh, feature stories, little vignette type stories about different strength athletes, because in, in all the different strength sports I've been in, I just have met some of the most fascinating people, you know, and it sounds like a cliche from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. But but honestly, like you can't come up with a walk of life that I haven't met somebody that's involved in strength sports, you know, no, that's not true. Haven't met any Amish people, you know. I, I used to buy cookie pies from these Amish people on the way out to uh, this tournament in eastern Pennsylvania. You know, they had them on the side of the road. Very good, by the way. But they weren't competing. So okay, you, you so, couldn't get them to like jump on the weaver stick. Life. You couldn't get them to try the weaver stick. Always <laughs> <laughs> might be good at that. You know, building a house every day. You know, a lot of swing of the hammer. Um, but but um, but no. So. So what I I started doing was writing these 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 stories about drug free athletes, uh, mm-hmm. people that I was sure were drug free. I mean, you yeah. never know for certain, but I was almost positive, and they had really good stories. And I was telling uh, I wanted to, to to write a compilation, call it the struggle to strength, and and about the important lessons that you learn that carry over into other aspects of your life when you go through the process of getting strong and. And, and, you know, all the little peaks and valleys and times where you need to be patient and times where you have to reevaluate because you're in a plateau and you want to force things like there's so many lessons that you can learn and the, the actual legitimate struggle to strength. You know, when you don't stick a needle in your ass and get strong in two months, like when you actually do it, mm-hmm. when you actually struggle to it. So. So I wrote this one story. Uh, from an interview I did with Rich Williams a few years ago, where I went down to his gym and I was watching him train his clients and watching him lift. And I mean, you know, uh, uh, we even have Richard Soren quoted as saying like all the years that he's been in the iron game, he's just never seen anybody that can do what Rich Williams can mm-hmm. never, you know, I mean, it's just, it is just that freaky. So I had a chance to witness that firsthand and, and I wrote a, a story about him, a very honest, like, uh, uh, story about, you know, some of his shortcomings, uh, mm-hmm. uh, issues with his personality, struggles with mental health, but also some of the things that he's accomplished, you know, the meager beginnings he came from, the kind of work that he put in to become an all-American. You know, not many people are playing in the blue-gray game from Gardner-Webb. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so like, I wrote this up, and I... My this guy Mike, who's working on the film, he was uh, a professor at Northeastern in creative writing, and I sent it to him, and he said, "You know, I know a documentary film ma- uh, uh, maker named Morgan Elliott, and if you would be okay, I'd like to send this over." And uh, it, it was, let's see, it would have been uh, May of last year because I was actually at one of my clients' college graduations out at Western Carolina. And uh, this phone number was texting me and calling and I didn't know what it was. So I kind of ignored mm-hmm. it until I got back in the car. And then I was kind of going through the texts and stuff. And and then it, it was Morgan Elliott. So I, I called up Morgan and, and we had like a two hour conversation. And, you know, it was like sold just like I really want to do this documentary, you know, yeah. and 
I just started, you know, talking about different athletes that I had written stories about before that got published in magazines and on the internet and stuff and, and, and people who I thought would be interesting for the film and, you know, introduced them to some of these people. And, you know, documentary filmmakers are, are always looking for these, these sort of, how do we put it like fringe kind of communities? You know what I mean? That have interesting people and the interesting people come from different walks of life, but they also do this. They sort of moonlight doing this other thing if they don't make a living from it. You know, it's still a passion of theirs and there's still a community around it. And, and, uh, so, so really the only qualifier was, you know, you had to be a drug free strength athlete, you know, and you had, if you had a, a, a good story, you know, we would, we would, come out and film you and and the sad thing is i mean i think we filmed seven people um mm-hmm. fully but we interviewed a lot of people you know and uh you were there you were there yeah. for uh july 4th um yeah. had everybody at the house and 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 those are those clips are going to be in in the film but there were people that got left off and i actually felt really bad about it uh, uh two of the people uh, Pat Povolitis and Steve Weiner from up uh, in New Jersey and New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it, it just, it bothered me because I don't know if you know the history of like the uh, AOBS dinner and stuff like that. Um, I've, uh, I've heard of it. I've seen footage right. of it. People talk of it, but I'm not familiar with right. that background too much. But I've always been unbelievably impressed with Steve and Pat. And, uh, I, I mean, I really wanted to get this interview done and, and in the can and we just couldn't make it work. And, and the okay. other one was, uh, Rob Vigent Jr., who I don't know if you know or not, but arm wrestler. Yeah. But yep. he, he actually started in grip. He did yeah, like yeah. kind of the opposite yep. I did. I started, yeah. Rob started arm wrestling with us in like 2003, okay. 2004. Yeah. Jed mentioned him and his uncle. Both were doing yeah, yeah. or something, and then his, uh, the arm wrestling since then. His yeah. uncle Rob, who was the same age, and everybody in the everybody in the family's named Rob. Every guy in the family, you know, it's like, like George Foreman, Goodfellas, you know, where everybody's Peter or Paul. You yeah, know, it's and, like, and like I said, it's uh, kind of like George Foreman, like all right, the yeah. kids are George. Yeah, <laughs> right. you know, whatever. Um, right. so, so same so, deal. Uh, the first time I met those guys, we were at Vic Sargent's house in Bristol, Connecticut, and it would have been oh three oh four. And I don't care what anybody says because I saw this with my own eyes. Okay. Rob Vision Jr. weighing probably about 200, 205. Uh, Vic had these rolling thunders hanging from these eye bolts in the ceiling. And he, you know, Vic's daughter, Cheyenne, who's now probably in her 20s because that's how this happens. She was like four at the time. And um, Rob said, uh, hey, sweetie, get on my back, you know, and. She grabs around his neck like this and is on his back. And Rob reaches up with one hand, grabs a rolling thunder, and pulls them both up like this mm-hmm. and then goes back down. Still one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Yeah. One arm pull up on a rolling thunder with like a 40-pound child hanging on his neck. And he just did it so easily, so nonchalantly. It was like just you know, freakish, you know, uh, and Rob and I had our run-ins. We, we, we had a couple of run-ins. We had one at the 2008 nationals that, you know, almost got real ugly, but, but we've always had a respect for each other. This you know, was, in, this was an arm wrestling competition. 
Yeah, yeah, it was the Nationals in Salt Lake City. Um, okay. but, but but we and even though like we had run-ins and, and and all this other stuff, I mean, we were competitive in that 198 220 class, and mm-hmm. and you know we were both young and you know had probably a lot more attitude than we do now. But I don't know. I've seen some interviews with Rob. He still looks like he's kind of full of attitude. Still a lot of attitude going on there. Uh, but, yeah. um, but, but no, I've always, I wanted to do the interview because I've always respected Rob because Rob has been one of those guys where it's like, if he went on steroids, he was already genetically predisposed to do way better than everybody else. He's a genetic freak. Mm-hmm. You know, if he went on steroids, he would have crushed everybody. No question about it, you know, but he didn't do it. Success yeah. with integrity. Yeah. It's the only kind. So, so I really appreciated that about, about him. So there are a few people who I'd still like to get around to, to interview and do a feature on maybe mm-hmm. for a second part. Uh, they've talked about potentially shopping this as a series because they okay. have so much footage. It's unbelievable at this point. Yeah. I was going to say, is there still filming going on for that or has most of the filming wrapped up and well, it's in like an editing editing stage? November 4th is probably going to be the last filming day. Okay, and, and most of this is uh, based around just drug-free strength athletes, yep. essentially from, it, from different walks. Just yep. that their their kind of story, and yep, just, all uh, sizes, all mm-hmm. you know, levels, ages. You know, um, it, it's we got some great interviews. You know, I, I was Rich Williams is often a pretty difficult guy to to, yeah. to pin down. And I think we spoke with Rich a total of 10 hours. You know, Richard Soren, I thought, you know, he's a very busy guy. He runs that huge corporation. And, and you know, I mean, even though he's, he's you know, his son, Bert, is is doing a, a, a lot of the work at the top now. He's he's still a really busy guy. And, and yeah. there's a lot of demands on his time. And, and, you know, we had asked him to do an interview. And I'm telling you, he sat down with us for six hours and gave us one of the greatest interviews that I've ever heard in my life. So, That's awesome. So I am, I am like so stoked about this. Um, I can't even tell you. And and I, I went a little bit overboard when I when I wrote out the the narration. I wrote a hundred and twenty pages, type double oh, wow. space. Yeah. So so I mean I know they're only to take bits of it, but you know I just wanted to come up with the most thorough anti-PED case that I possibly could. And it's not like I made a straw man out of the arguments for. I looked yeah. at the arguments for very deeply. Yeah. I abstracted them, you know, as much as I could. And, you know, I found all the common themes and I attacked it from a psychological, sociological, um, and, you know, competitive. Again, I'm a purist. Uh, a, a, a viewpoint, you know, and, and, and certainly from a, a perspective of morality, you know, I even used uh, Lawrence Colbert's levels of morality to kind of pinpoint where somebody would make those decisions would land, you know, and so, so I mean, hopefully everyone will, will have a chance to see it. I mean, it, it's like, I know post-production takes a long time. They're in the yeah. process of editing a lot of the interviews right now. But then after they edit, there's still like a six month legal process they have to go through. Uh, they have to, you know, score the movie. So they have to, you know, find, you know, the buy the rights to use music for the movie and, and, 
and, and that's a process. And, yeah. you know, then they go through the whole legal thing to make sure there's no way that any of us can get sued. And, and then they start shopping at the streaming services and the like. So, so, um, it, it's probably going to be another year before we, we get to see the fruits of our labor. But my God, man, I've put so much work into this thing. You know, yeah, I, I just I think I, it's, uh, you keep going, James. Yeah. You know, I was just going to say, I'm unbelievably proud of the work I've done for it. Um, I, I, I just have to put faith in Morgan and his editor that they're going to be mm-hmm. able to piece it together and, and yeah. do it justice. You know, I, I got the sense that they're a little bit overwhelmed because there's just so much footage. You yeah. Know? I mean, if you're it, talking it, like single people having, you know, six to 10 hour interviews and it's oh, like, yeah. and then you think about maybe condensing this into a, let's just say hypothetically a two hour documentary. I right. mean, when you have individual interviews and, I could only imagine the amount of footage and having to try to piece that down, but yeah. get the point across and keep, you know, clarity of what the message is. And it, it, it's not a job I would want to take on. <laughs> right. So. I've thought about it too. It's it's not a, it's not a job I would want to take on either, but I've read over all the interviews, transcripts and, and everything. And it's, it's a lot of content. And I really do think that, and I, I have faith that Morgan's going to do a great job. I, I've seen the work he's done in other films and, mm-hmm. And he's he's a very good filmmaker. And I think, you know, I mean, I told him, I said, I don't want to influence your perspective. I want you to talk to people who are for steroids. You know, go for it. Yeah. You know, if you want, find, you know, the, the biggest steroid abusing, you know, justifying person in the world and just sit me down with them in a room. I would yeah. love that. I would fucking love that. But I would love that. Like, let's yeah. do it. You know, I I have no qualms with that at all. In fact, I invite it because I had a conversation like that at lunch one day. I, I was at this little Irish bar up the street here and I'm eating lunch. And there's a guy there who's an attorney and him and his buddy are talking about, you know, baseball and steroids. And I was like, you know what? I don't normally do this, but here's where you're wrong. And this guy sat there and he argued with me for, I'm telling you, we were arguing for like an hour and 15 minutes. And at the end of it, he goes, he goes, you know, you've given me things to consider about this that I never thought about before. And he's like, you ever think about becoming an attorney? I said, no. I said, you, you live in the world of, of, of narratives where you come up with a narrative for your client. I, my, my profession, you know, therapy, that is the domain of the truth. You know, it's not a narrative profession. We try to get to what is real and what is true, you know, and the more that you deviate from what is real and what is true, the more pathological you are by definition. So, so anyway, I know my, I come across as, uh, uh, morally superior and self-righteous sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? James, man, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, just being there that one day when there was some filming going on for it and you had some people kind of pulling off some feats of strength at the house and it was all guys that, you know, don't use anything. Um, hanging out that day was fun and kind of pulling some of those lifts with everybody was cool. And uh, just knowing what took place that day, I could only imagine what other things you've done when you hit the road and filmed other people and all the content you got, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. So um, I know it might take a while for that to come out. It might be a year, yeah. whatever, but 
I think that's something I know I'm extremely excited for. And I think a lot of the listeners or anybody that's a fan of just integrity and strength or whatever the case may be, I I think it's something that people should kind of, you know, keep an eye out for if they follow you or anything and just uh, be on the lookout for that documentary because I'm I'm excited for it. And, And how about people who are just a fan of humanity? And, and what I mean by that is like, you know, we are at a loss when it comes to, you, you have people looking for humanity wherever they can find it these days. You know, we're a very siloed people. We're a very divided people. People don't look for humanity in, in other people as much anymore. They're so ideological. They look for one thing they disagree with them on, and then they dismiss that person entirely. Mm-hmm. And And it's like, you know, I think I think we have to get back to to seeing you know humanity and and humanity is is all about limitations. It's not using technology to cover up your limitations. There's nothing brave in that. There is nothing brave in that. Yeah. Okay. You know, before I we were talking about Bandura and I mentioned uh, Marshall McLuhan. Well, he was a media savant, and and you can find an interview with him. I had to watch these back when I was an undergrad, but. You can find an interview with him where he's talking about uh, technology and he's talking about how technology is going to get much more advanced and it's going to be combined on smaller devices. In an interview in 60 or 61, he's talking about how at some point you'll be able to go to your phone and you'll be able to call up all the information in all the libraries Mm -hmm. in all the world. And, you know, he coined this idea of the global village that it was going to connect people. But and this is coming from a guy who died in 1980 or 81. He said, it's also going to disconnect us. It's going to disconnect us in ways that we don't know because every piece of technology, every medium itself, and he was famous for saying the medium is the message that the actual existence of it is going to change society more than whatever it is that you broadcast on it. You know, Um, but what he had said was essentially like we're combining with our technology and I, I think a corollary to that is if we combine with our technology and it's it's used to augment our ability to overcome, you know, illness or unnecessary suffering, well, then that's good to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. But if we try to get rid of all of our limitations altogether, well, where do you find humanity then? You know, you can only be brave if you're sacrificing something. If you're not really sacrificing anything, if you're just using some kind of piece of technology, whatever that is, to become supreme being that is unbeatable, then like there's nothing brave about what you're doing. It's it's you're you're afraid to show your vulnerabilities. And that's really the difference between vulnerability and weakness. Right. It's like when you have a weakness, it's like you're avoiding it. You're you're trying to be blind to it. You're trying to run away from conflict. Vulnerability is. I think I might have a weakness here that I need to work on, you know, but I'm going to go try anyway. I'm going to go try this thing anyway. And maybe I don't do well, but I'm I'm going to go try and, and I'll learn from not doing well. And I learned this arm wrestling. My first couple of years of arm wrestling, you have no idea how many tournaments I drove out to by myself, lost my first two matches, and then would drive home beating myself up. Mm-hmm. I mean, beating myself up. So often I would go, Back to my gym. I was working at World Gym in, in Orange, Connecticut at the time before they turned it into this 
fucking sad Planet Fitness. Anyhow, I digress. <laughs> it was a world's gym. It was a world gym. Yeah. It was a great place, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I would go there and I'd work out and I, you know, it, it was like I would just work out like a maniac on what I, whatever I thought my weaknesses were. And back then it was my bicep. It was like, you know, guys would the, – the knock against me in the lightweight class was I was crafty and technical, but if you turned me into a hook right here, you could pull through my arm. So I just decided, no, my arm, my bicep is going to be the strongest fucking bicep there is. And if you want to go there, go there at your own peril, because this is where your hook goes to die, was the way that I thought about it. You know, and it was like, it, it taught me the process of making my bicep stronger from where I was, as weak as I was. It taught me that your weeks can your weaknesses can become your strength. And, and what I saw over the years was, you know, the different things that I had that were weaknesses in arm wrestling, I'd bring them up and maybe something else would lag behind. And then I'd bring that up. And then it was like, well, yeah, you can do that in other aspects of your life too, as long as you can figure out how to measure things. And as long as you have enough humility to look at yourself and say, this is a blind spot of mine. I got to work on this. You know. Now, with uh, with you kind of bringing that up, where people are maybe commenting and saying, you know, they're just going to try to pull through your arm and your bicep might be weak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from a standpoint of some of your videos, you've pulled off some of the probably some of the best bicep lifts, bicep curls um, that I've ever seen. Um, is there a few that kind of stand out? I mean, I've seen you. And I don't want to be wrong when I say this, but I mean, I've seen you with like a full length Olympic barbell. And I want to say 55 pound plates on. Yeah. And you've done the barbell. Yeah. You've you've done a one arm preacher curl. Yeah. That, that barbell only weighed 42 though. It wasn't like a 45 pound barbell just in the interest of, so it was 152, but, um, and it's it's still 152 pound single arm curl with the balance of a barbell. Right. I mean, it's squirrely. I don't know if you ever saw my fail on on that. I I failed pretty bad on that. I might've seen it, but, yeah. But I mean, but, stuff like that. And then you've curled, I mean, extremely heavy dumbbells. I mean, like preacher curled dumbbells that, I mean, I stuff that would probably rip my arm off. So I've always. But it, it took time. Oh, yeah. It, it took time. It was yeah. like when I was, this would have been 97 or 98. I went to a plate against sports in Milford, Connecticut, and they had hex dumbbells for like 40 cents a pound. So I, I bought the ones I could I could bring home. They had a, a 50. They had a 65. They had a 70, a 75, an 80, a 90, and a 100 and a 120. And I had those hex dumbbells for a number of years. I actually kept them all the way up until the pandemic. I was selling weights during the pandemic for like 50 cents a pound because people gotcha. were ripping other people off. But but yeah. um, I, I bought those dumbbells, and I, I set a goal that I was going to curl that 120-pound dumbbell eventually, right? So I go home. And I can't, you know, uh, at the time, it's funny, I was, I was, uh, let's see, this was 90, would have been 97 or 98, because I was still, I was actually living in my dad's basement, you know, and he had all this, these old weights, it was pig iron, you know, like one inch weights and stuff. And he had some dumbbell handles. Uh, but I went down there and I tried to curl the 50 and I couldn't do it. And I was already arm wrestling at that point. Okay, I was going to ask know? you, you know, what was, was the curl? was the curl thing kind of a goal prior to arm wrestling or did the arm wrestling kind of spark well, that? And then they kind of just played off each other. 
it, it took me two years of arm wrestling to finally enter an arm wrestling tournament. And all these weird things happened that led to that, which I'll get into. But I, I couldn't curl the 50. So what I did was I, you know, I would basically made a smaller bell. And then I took a percentage of that and I gradually microloaded it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't until 2012, the week of two weeks before the Unified Nationals. Or no. Yeah. Yeah. To the, the, the Unified Nationals in Mobile, 2011. Sorry, 2011. Two weeks before the, uh, the, the Unified Nationals in Mobile that I was actually able to curl that 120. And that 120 scaled out at 123. And there was a time when I did three sets of six with it, full range. So, so I started in this space where my bicep was so unbelievably weak that it was getting exploited. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was in many ways, I know, I mean, I remember back then, you know, nobody minced words. I was in some ways a, a laughing stock. It was like, James, if he doesn't top roll you, is not going to beat you. If you turn him in, he, his arm folds over like a wet dish rag, somebody said one time. Okay. I remembered that. I remember still, that. Still, still to this because day. <laughs> I arm wrestled that same guy in Atlantic City in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I purposefully turned him into a hook. And I didn't, I didn't embarrass him, but I purposefully turned him into a hook and waited for him to look at me, made eye contact and pulled him, pulled right through him in a hook. Yeah. You know, it was that, it was like, yeah, I remember you were right. <laughs> you were right, but things change. Yeah. You know, Stuff's that changed was, since that was then. The way I, I thought about that. Now so. I was going to ask you with, uh, I guess starting kind of in the late nineties with the arm wrestling, and like you're saying, some of these people, you know, uh, maybe being critical of certain aspects of your game earlier on, at what point did you kind of establish yourself like that to where it's like, okay, something's changed and it's like, now this guy's kind of a serious threat and the jokes aren't really happening and you kind of shift into a uh, more of a regular staple or kind of a veteran role or a top-notch kind of guy. When, when is that? 2003, there was an event in, uh, it was Maine Motorsports Madness. And it was in a, in an arena, like just outside of Portland. I think it was like Seiko was the name of the town. I forget which. Um, but I was weighing back then 165 pounds. And they, you know, they had a 165 class, but I mean, I, I was, I, the guys I was arm wrestling at practice were all huge. I mean, Pete Milano, you know, six foot five, 400 pounds. Tim Bresnan, six foot two, you know, 330 at one time so, yeah, was a world I, champion. I was going to say, I don't even, I don't even like, like I said, I'm not huge into arm wrestling. I will right. follow it, but like uh, Tim Bresnan's a name that I, I, I recognize. Yeah. So like you're, you're name dropping people that like, right. I'm not even like an arm wrestling fan or a diehard, but like, I know, right. I know some of these names. So, so, so Guy Lasorsa was training with us at the time. And you, you probably don't know that name, but Guy was a world champion during the seventies and eighties at the, the, at the real over the top tournament. He took second to Johnny Walker in 86. Uh, he had beaten Al Turner, who was his training partner. Al Turner has got a great story. Al Turner was referred to as the godfather of arm wrestling because he was the best organized arm wrestler for, I mean, decades. And, and he, he trained with Guy 
uh, when Guy was was just coming up, and Guy ended up beating him, I think, in '78. Um, but Al Turner was was um, oh God, what was the Rocky Marciano? He was Rocky Marciano's uh, uh, sparring partner. That that okay. was his claim to fame, his main guy that he liked to, to box with. So anyway, we had Guy Lasorsa there, and I'm sitting there. I'm hanging in a hook with Guy Lasorsa at this point. He's 220 pound former world champion. He won uh, the the Masters class at the Nationals that year, 220. I'm 165, and I'm hanging in a hook with him. So I'm top rolling guys that in a super heavyweight class. And uh, I just was like, I'm going to compete in the 242 class. I knew there were two guys ranked in the top five in the 242 there, and I won that weight class. And I made it into the last match of the overall, and I lost to the the who the guy at the time was the best super heavyweight in the Northeast. His name was Eric Given, big giant from Maine. And, and Eric beat me and he goes, he goes, that right arm is a weapon kid. Like that to me. <laughs> and it was like, for some reason, I stopped trying to stay in those lower weight classes. And don't get me yeah. wrong. It's not like I was running away from bigger guys. It wasn't the 154 yeah. class in, in New England. Um, you had, the top guys in the country and you had world champions, uh, Norm Devio, who is a legend in the sport. He was, he was from right there in Massachusetts. You had Mike Shalhoub, who was another national champion right there. Tim Sears, uh, Gabe, um, Accardi, who was a world champion and, and for a while was just unbeaten at 143. You know, these are the guys I would see at tournaments. Uh, Rick Salawada, who would place at Worlds, uh, Mike Surplus, the guy they called Flash. He had a hand bigger than pretty much everybody in the 198s in the area. So I came up competing against these guys. And these are the guys that if they bumped up, they were winning the 176 class and often the 198 class. So I'm cutting to 154 and 165 to compete against these guys. Finally, I just said, I'm holding myself back. And in yeah. 2004, I went to to the nationals at 184. I was a little chunky, but I was 184 and uh, the 187 class, me and a guy named Razor Rao had wars and it was filmed for ESPN. And and it was like, I, I ended up taking second at nationals that year, but it, I, it wasn't the best I was. The best I was, was early in 2005, early in 2005 before I fucked up my thumb. Like, I, you know, I mean, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm like really full of myself, but I just, I just wasn't losing and I was pinning people very easily. And my pronation was insane back then. You know, I mean, I just trained all, I was training so much in a way that I couldn't train now because, because I mean, I'm too old and everything, but, but, um, just, I, I, yeah, you know, but, but it was, I, I remember there was a viewing party that Savan Matosian had, who was, he, he had, he came out with uh, Pulling John, the documentary. And at that event, you had some of the best 198, 220 guys in the area. And I mean, I was just flash penning them, just like no trouble at all. And yeah. I didn't even feel like, it just, it was insane. It was really insane. And then one night before, I used to pre-fatigue before practice. 
So I would lift weights before training so that when I got on the arm wrestling table, I couldn't overpower people or just roll through them or yeah, outslick them. You have to use more technique or work. something like that. Yeah, I had to think. I'd have to get into a losing yeah. position. Well, mm-hmm. I just got this three-inch dumbbell handle, and I'm doing wrist curls, and I'm doing these front-loaded kettlebell curls, keeping my wrist static. Mm-hmm. And then we only we had a very light practice that night. And the next morning, I woke up, and my thumb was twice the size. I don't know... I ended up fracturing my thumb and thumbs take forever to heal. And then I never had the pronation again. So I had to, a, 2005 was my worst year arm wrestling. Cause then I got, I got appendicitis and that actually, you know, had to have an emergency surgery because they waited a little too long. Uh, they had me sitting there in the waiting room at the hospital for six hours. Um, and then then I ended up getting Lyme disease. So 2005 was a total wash uh, yeah. when it came to my own arm wrestling. And it, it really took me a couple of years to get back to to, to as strong as I was. Uh, but I never regained that pronation and that outside game that I had. Never. Okay. Um, now, yeah. let's let's say around uh, – well, we'll, we'll just we, – we, we could chalk it up to your whole career. And it's hard to put so much of a career, you know, into a short interview like this or – in a couple sentences. Um, but what were probably your biggest wins, I guess, when you were arm wrestling? Like, what, what would you say were your biggest you wins? And I guess we could say, like, tournament-wise, not necessarily just right. beating one person. That could be both ways. Like, who's the biggest name you've ever beaten? Or right. what's the biggest win you've had for a, right. a, a full, you know, like nationals well, or competition or something? Yeah, I, I've won four nationals, and I've won them in four different weight classes. But, you know, if I was actually going to talk about that event, the, 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 you know, I had one event and it was actually my last event. And it's crazy because people were like, why did you stop pulling after that event? Like you were at the top of your game and they didn't realize like, you know, you can fall out of love with something. And, and I really fell out of love with arm wrestling big time. You know, you have to realize when I, when I started arm wrestling, it, you know, Guys treated each other with a sense of decorum. There was sportsmanship. You know, I was a street basketball player, you know, growing up. And, I mean, I played everywhere where there was going to be anybody really good in New York and Connecticut, like, you know, southwestern Connecticut, New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, I played everywhere. And I got so tired. you got to realize this is, like, right around white men can't jump coming out you know what i mean mm-hmm. I so tired of that culture it just people just running their stupid fucking mouths you know and and then you know i i gradually kind of force gump my way into arm wrestling and like i'm i'm expecting it to be kind of like the movie over the top guys drinking motor oil and like screaming at each other and swallowing cigars <laughs> and bullshit yeah, and it was right. nothing like that it was nothing like that and 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 you know what was happening you know, 2010, 11, 12, there were a couple of circumstances where it's like, we went so far beyond bad sportsmanship with certain people at events. Um, uh, the, the drugs were in the game. And uh-huh. my last event, I went to uh, the Alabama State Championship in 2012. And that's why I said, like, I went overall at regionals in the Northeast and the Southeast, won the nationals a couple times. But this tournament, if, per the question you're asking, sticks out the most. I was, me and a guy named Terry Bergen, who was competing in the 220 class, 
Him and I were the only two guys that were qualified head referees at this event. There were well over 150 entries. And I was weighing right around 198, so I decided to cut weight and make 198. While I'm on the scale, a guy named Jerry Cole walks up. He can't see me because I had to strip down and behind a curtain. And I hear him ask Karen Bean, he says, what weight class is Retoritas in? And she goes, he just made the 98s and he's pulling the 242s. And then Jerry Cole goes, he's ducking me. And I put my clothes on as fast as I could. And I walked behind that curtain and I said, motherfucker, we could go right now like that. Okay. So Terry Burgeon's already there. You know, he's, he's reffing this thing. Uh, I said, let's go best two out of three. You know, I'm pulling the 98s. You're pulling two twenties in, in, and I'm pulling the two forty twos. Let's go best two out of three. I go to the bar. I take a glass of water because I had to cut water. I go up to the table. I beat them twice in a row. Okay. To Jerry's credit, like Jerry, you might not know the name Dave Patton, but Dave Patton is like one of the only people that has a winning record against John Berzink. And a lot of the old timers say Dave Patton was the best ever, not just pound for pound either, because Dave Patton was like a 176 guy, 165 guy. He, I mean, just Dave Patton, he's a world jujitsu champion now. You can look him up. Um, But, but he is, he was incredible. I, I mean, I watched him win overalls against guys that were national champions at 242 and super heavyweights weighing 165. Just incredible. Well, he tore his bicep pulling against Jerry Cole. Jerry had this really hard out and around move. And, you know, he he pulled Dave out of position and tore his bicep. So, you know, Jerry was kind of infamous for that. And yeah. when Jerry lived up in the Northeast, I saw him at a tournament one time in Pennsylvania, pull the 176, 198, 220, 242 in super heavyweight, and he won every match. I mean, blasted everybody in less than a second. So I knew he would be formidable. But, yeah. you know, you come and you do some shit like that while I'm standing on the scale talking about I'm ducking you and I'm actually in the room. You want to save that shit for the Internet. That's fine. But you you can't let somebody get away with that. So yeah. so I beat him fast. And then, I mean, we had four. At the time, I was ranked number one at 198 and 220 in the Southeast. We had four of the top five 198s there. And me and a very good friend of mine to this day, Mark Taggart. Mark Taggart back in that at, at that point was he was a giant killer. Unbelievably strong hand and wrist and very fast. Well, I'm in the finals. I make it all the way to the finals, big weight classes, 15, 20 in each weight class. So I make it, you know, pretty seamlessly into the finals of the 242 without really getting any kind of trouble on my arm. I draw Mark Taggart the round before the finals. And the video is still on. You can see it on YouTube. We have a war. We have an absolute fucking war. And, I mean, between starting and stopping, and I think it was something like seven minutes, you know. And I ended up winning. I, I had him pinned and I lost, I, I, I elbow fouled. And then um, it was weird because one of the referees called win and the other called elbow foul. But I was like, let's just go again. You know, I was, of course, I wanted the win. I still had to pull yeah. the 242 championship. So, uh, you know, me and Mark go again. I end up, I beat him. I, I, 
I, I, I end up winning in the finals against Matt Swan. Um, the guy who was talking the most uh, was a, a guy from Alabama who, you know, said he was going to come through there and he was going to be the dark horse and nobody at 98 would have anything for him. I literally just, my goal was to just hold him in the center of the table, let him hit and just have him collapse underneath me. Yeah. And that happened. So I, I did that. And then like Mark took it out of me. I, I ended up losing to a guy named Nate Adams in the finals of the 242. He beat me twice. He made his way up through the loser's bracket, beat me twice. But, but you know, afterwards, everybody's like, holy shit, man. Like you're at this next level and all this other stuff. And you know what the thought was that occurred to me? I wish I'd stayed home. Really? Yeah. That's when I knew I was done. I was like, you know, between the treatment of the people, I mean, not like like Glenn Brooks and Der- and Terry Bergen, two of the old school guys from Alabama. I got along with them great. Glenn Brooks, mm-hmm. I used to go to tournaments in Alabama. He'd show up, he'd have moonshine for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Great guy. Love Glenn Brooks. Love Terry. But the new breed was just this pro-steroid, very cocky, mouthy, just everything I hated, you know? Yeah. And they had their family with them and, you know, everybody's rooting against me in every match. And, and I just, I, you know what? I was like, this is just not the same. This isn't what it was. And, you know, I, I feel like the ice was cracking for a couple of years, like the writing was on the wall, but I was just at a point where I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I, I mean, I, I knew when it was like, well, I used to look forward. I would have dates like this circled on the calendar and if I pulled like this at a tournament 10 years ago, I would have been so excited. I would have that same level of excitement that I did after the 2004 Nationals. But no, I, I literally, the first thought that occurred to me was, I really wish I stayed home this weekend. Yeah. And, so and, then- and that's what, like, you know, I mean, I'd already started doing grip stuff at that point and, you know, okay, yeah. had done some powerlifting stuff previously. So I was like, let me, let me go do something else. It's time for something new. That was going yeah. to be my next question was with you kind of maybe yeah. falling out of love with that or having that kind of realization in that moment was how do we get from arm wrestling to kind of finding out about this grip stuff or pursuing other strength right. stuff after that? And what, well, what was that path things. like? So I, I had bought my first Captains of Crush grippers in the 90s, and they were like the really stiff single-stamped ones, mm-hmm. you know, Um and uh, I, I bought John Brookfield's book, The Mastery of Hand Strength. And, you know, I had already been, you know, incorporating some of that stuff. You know, arm wrestling hand strength is somehow a little bit different than grip strength. Oh, yeah. um, but but I incorporated a lot of what I learned from, from John Brookfield. I think a lot of people have. And I think, honestly, I think. I think more. There's so many people in grip who don't realize that they owe a debt of gratitude to John Brookfield. You know, yeah, but um, but but that was kind of my my initial foray into it. And then, you know, being at these fitness conventions, they always had some little kind of grip challenge. And I remember um, at one year at the Arnold's, and this is going back probably 15 years ago, Dennis Rogers was there. Okay. And I knew who Dennis Rogers was because, you know, I'd seen him on, on TV shows growing up. He was the little bald guy that could bend anything, tear anything, yeah. lift anything. So I saw him and immediately I just said, oh man, Dennis Rogers. 
And, uh, you know, he shook my hand and, and Dennis is really great about this. Like he, he's one of those people that does not seem to forget a conversation. Like he has got such a good memory. And I think the reason why is that he's actually interested in the people that he meets. So you can see him years later and he'd be like, yeah, I remember I met you at da, 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 da. Yeah. And you're like, Oh my God, I didn't even think you were, you know, but I met him there and, and Sorenex had a booth. And I started just kind of fiddling around with some of the stuff at the Sornex booth. And I just really found it kind of, I don't know, just fun, unique, mm-hmm. uh, different. Uh, and back then I'd go to fitness conventions and if they had like a pull-up contest, especially because I was doing a lot of pull-ups, I'd jump yeah. in that, see if I could win that, stuff like that. I just, I loved that aspect of those those conventions, that there were multiple things you could do other than just arm wrestle or, or lift. Um in 2008, a guy named Scott George, who had no setted threes, he had he was he's on the original cert list for the three too. Uh, he's yeah. a, a red nail roster guy. Um, Scott George decided he was going to get involved in arm wrestling, and he was training at my house. And he brought over some stuff, and then he introduced us to Bob Sundin. And Bob lived in Charlotte, and Bob brought over you know, two thirty fives for pinching. And I think me and Jason Otto did that. And uh, Jason and I were both able to pinch uh, five tens the first time we tried it. So, you know, we were like, Oh, this is cool. You know what I mean? And, and uh, so we, we loosely stayed in touch with, with Bob and, and started doing some stuff, you know, back then with, with Scott and Bob. And then in 2012, it, it was like, we ended up, linking back up with bob by 2013 it was a regular thing you know we would train in bob's backyard and and bob helped me immensely and you know i mean most people especially listening now probably don't know who bob is but i'm telling you bob you know 10 plus years ago the stuff he was able to do you know was really the big boy feats of strength he was able to do Mm -hmm. uh weighing you know, 165, 170 pounds, just amazing yeah. stuff, you know? Uh, but, but, you know, I think it's like anything people tend to get forgotten. Oh yeah. You know? And that's, and that's one of the things that I've always tried to kind of make a point of so far. And you've seen some of the other episodes where I guess I don't say we go down memory lane, but you know, like Jed was talking about early competitions, you know, Adam's yeah. name dropping certain people. So anytime, um, someone gets brought up, I definitely like to kind of take that time to uh, to bring that up because now, you know, you got, and this is not to like undermine or uh, take anything away from current people who are doing the same feats or awesome feats. Like, okay, you're 160 pounds and you can lift the inch dumbbell, but guys don't, you know, they act like, oh, I saw it on IG. That's new. And it's like, well, Bob did it. 13 years ago. I don't know. I mean, you could probably tell me yeah. whatever 10 years ago. So what, so what yeah. I'm saying is like, it's, it's funny to me that like now with all the media and stuff, people will get that kind of credit or, Oh, can you believe somebody, this body weight did this or a body weight inch lift. And it's like, like to your credit and what you're saying, like Bob introducing you to grip, that's some of the stuff he was doing, pinching plates, um, right. lifting the blob the like old grip board certification type stuff or uh feats judging, you know, lifting the inch dumbbell at that body weight. So he right. was, I, I, I don't, I don't know if this is the right word. You could, you would know better than me. You've been doing this longer. Um, but I mean, Bob was probably kind of a, uh, a pioneer for the lightweight guys in grip. No question. That, that, that they look yeah. to. 
And yeah. and I think that it is somebody that kind of gets uh, maybe overlooked for that because now, you know, so many people, I still see people all the time and, and I'm not trying to make fun of them or joke, but you know, they, they like to post their We're body not. weight. <laughs> they like to post their body weight. This is what my right, body right. weight was. This is what, here's my lift. This was my body weight, body weight. Well, okay. I'm going to annoy the shit out of you, Zach, because, because one of my goals right now is to pull 600 on my trap bar. And and I want to get my body weight right at 200 yeah. when I do it. So but I'm, you've also done like a recent like big weight loss. So I'm just saying, but there's other people that right. it's like they, they put their body weight in certain lifts. And for certain right. lifts, for certain, certain lifts, lifts, it's like, impressive. It is. And then there's other right. lifts where it's like, I don't care what you weighed and it has no relevancy to yeah. what's going on. And right. But especially a lot of grip weights, like, like, like a lot of yeah. grip lifts. So you're not yes. using nearly as much poundage, you know. Yeah. It's like, do you know who like Abner Nazario is, the deadlifter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like yeah. him at 181 deadlifting 800 pounds. Yeah. Post your weight all day, homie. Go for it because that's insane. <laughs> exactly. That's insane, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's like if, if you're, you know, I don't know, lifting something in the shape of a walnut or a fucking golden <laughs> potato or something and, you know, you got weight attached to it and then you want to tell me that you're 143, it's like, Golf clap, golf cool. clap. Yeah, so, fascinating. That, Good for you. So th- th- that's kind of my point with that one. Is it, it's kind of funny, and I just disregard <laughs> the body weight then. But to really give Bob his credit and give Bob his yeah. due, like you know, as someone that kind of introduced you to these things, right? Uh, and like I said, so for any of you people that are lighter weight lifters that yeah, look yeah. up to the current crop of lighter weight lifters, I'm not going to try to say like, oh, Bob did it first, but Bob yeah, was a name that you know who he is. But yeah, Bob Bob should yeah. uh, get some credit and people should maybe go back and kind of revisit some of his lifts or just right. see some of the stuff that, that he pulled off, you know, just for fun. Like, hey, I didn't know about this guy and now you do. So I mean, just to it, give you some some of Bob's greatest hits, he took three fifty fives, added like thirty mm-hmm. something pounds to it and was able to pinch it. You know, yeah. two hands. I yeah, saw yeah, two him hand add weight to 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 two fifty fives and pinch it. Um he and I I, he was the only other one at training that was able to farmer's walk a 45-55 combination in each hand. Uh, we did that, I think, on the same day. Um, he uh, was able to two-finger lift the blob, uh, well, thumb and two fingers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I watched him weighing like 160-something, low 160s, pull over 300 on V-bar. I mean, double body weight V bar is insane. Like, if you want to talk about, you know, on a two inch V bar, um, he just he. I mean, he 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 closed a, a a four from a choker. You know, I mean, I saw him credit card set a three with with not very big hands. Um, you know, putting weight on the thumb side of the inch to make it harder. Like, yep. you know, it, really, I mean, just. The only guy that I would say has probably done more impressive stuff at a lighter body weight when it comes to grip stuff, you know, maybe spare Bruce White. But my understanding was Bruce White, who's passed on and everything, had something like eight plus inch hands, even though he's like 140 pounds or something. Yeah. But uh, uh, Eves Gravel, I mean, the stuff he does is unbelievable. And, and that's, you know, that, that's the name I thought you were going to throw out. I was kind of waiting yeah, to see, but yeah. Well, I, I, Cause he gives hope to all of us who have Whopper junior hands. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, wow, well, 
he can do it. Like, never mind, he's like a world class, you know, climber. climber he's like, yeah. you know, just absolutely at this tail of the distribution. Yeah. Never mind that. But at least you know somebody can do it. It's possible with your hand size. And, yeah. and and because it's possible, it you know, it, it does. It makes you think, well, maybe I can do this or or body weight. But it's like, yeah, yeah. if you're if if you're training for the world weed pulling championships and you got thirty eight pounds on the stub, and then you decide, uh, hey, I'm gonna hop on the scale over here and show you guys that if I lose another ten pounds, I might fucking float away, you know? Then like, eh, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe post the lift, but but we don't need to see what you put on the scale. We yeah. don't need that. Like, no. just, uh, why not surprise us with your weight at another day and time? Show us the lift. Yeah. Um, real quick, just to uh, stay on the topic of Bob Sundin real quick. Yeah. Just for anybody that doesn't know, because it's a story that you enjoy. And I, I like the story, just to put it out there so that it is recorded. Can you give uh, your favorite Bob Sundin story? And if you can't remember what it is, I'm going to refresh your memory and say that it involves no. a scale. Yeah. I was about to say, you don't okay. have to refresh my memory. Okay. It Just is... have to check. Because well, there's another one too. The other one was when like he stood up from a lift and hit his head on a branch and then grabbed the branch and ran it in another direction and had a look of murder on his face, trying to rip this limb off this tree. And Jason and I were, I mean, Jason and I, we never take anything too seriously. So we can just make eye contact sometimes. And, you know, we're basically, he's basically my spirit animal. So we can make eye contact and just fucking lose it, you know? Yeah. Well, this one day, Bob, I think, I honestly think it was the first day Bob went over 300 on V-Bar. And, you know, Bob wasn't one of these people that was going to like broadcast it to everybody and put like 98 hashtags there. Like, hey, look at me. Look what I did. He was one of those guys that was like, I want a record of the fact that I did this thing. He's you recording know, lifts. He's, 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 he's not one attention. He's just recording lifts. Right. Because the way I explained it to Bob was when I grew up, when I was growing up, I mean, the, the amount of fucking like 400 pound bench pressers in high school was phenomenal. I mean, you never had video of it, but they would tell you about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody within earshot would hear about you know, they're, they're amazing lifts that always seem to get heavier over the years. You know, mm-hmm. I was one of those people I was like, no, nah, I want actual footage of what I did. I don't want to be one of these people that's like, you know, bragging about what I did when I was older, you know, and I got to engage in all this hyperbole. So everyone thinks I'm fucking cool or something, you know? So Bob is kind of like that. He wants a record of what he did, but he doesn't, you know, it's not like he's, he knows it's a training lift, you know? So he checks the scale. Scale goes on. It's fine. He pulls the 300 pounds. And I mean, he had this one camera that he used to use. And I swear it looked like that old Van Halen video with the, with the walleye vision. Like it was like, I, it looked like everything he filmed was underwater, you know? So, so he pulls off the lift and then he puts it on the scale and he's hitting the button and the fucking thing won't go on. And he takes it off and he hits the button again puts it on the scale, hits the button. So Jason and I are watching this and we can see Bob kind of unraveling. So he scoops it up and he grabs the scale like a fucking pizza box. He walks over to his garbage can because we're in the backyard. He lifts the lid and he just fucking 
whacks it in there as hard as he can, slams the lid, and disappears into the house. Jason and I are fucking nonplussed. We're just looking at each other like, what is going on? 20 seconds later, with the coolest fucking look on his face I've ever seen, like nothing just happened, Bob walks out with a box. And inside the box is a brand new scale, and it's the same fucking scale he just threw in the garbage. (laughs) Jason and I, we fucking, I I mean, we laughed so hard. I don't think, I I still this day, I think (laughs) only one other time did I laugh until I felt like I was having a neurological problem. You know yeah. what I mean? No, I, yeah. I was laughing that hard at the visual of this. You know, it was it was pretty great. Yeah, because yeah. like it's, it's it's one thing if he like you said he picks it up like a pizza box and he just slam dunks it in the trash can and then you think it's over, but then it's like no, he's gonna come back out with a perfectly brand new boxed one, and it's just like that just like tops it off. So yeah, picks it out as cool as a cucumber, removes it, you know, puts it yeah. down, turns it on, just like nothing happened. And honestly, when he went into the house, Jason and I, like, we both had the same thought. Like, is that it? Like, is training over? Is, yeah. is, did Bob just disappear for the day? Is that just, like, was that just somehow the straw that broke yeah. the camel's back? And oh, now sure. Bob has decided that the day is over? That's and then, funny. like, seconds later. And we just, uh, I can't remember which one of us said it was, like, Bob, do you have, like, a filing cabinet in there or something with, like, just scales in it? Like, just brand new scales? Just in case, some backups? You know, yeah, no, that's yeah. Th- that's just a funny one, but yeah, I think that's something that the listeners should uh, find funny, and at the same time, like we've all had scale issues, I'm sure, or filming issues, yeah. trying to document these lifts, so people can kind of relate, especially when you're just you're just trying to get stuff to go right and it won't. Right, <laughs> and, uh, right. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny. People don't think this because I think Sean Capusta had the best line about Bob I've ever heard. He, he, he said he went up to try to introduce himself to Bob and Bob, he said, Bob looked at him like, you know, like, like he would punch a grizzly bear in the face was how Bob looked at him. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like Bob. And like, he's quiet and stuff. He doesn't say much, but I'm going to tell you, and, and I'm tell you can ask Jason the next time you see him. All right. Mm-hmm. Bob will come out with a line that's funnier than anything else that's been said the entire day. And it'll be one thing he'll say. He'll say five things the whole training. But one of the things he will say will be so fucking funny that it'll make you cry. And you wouldn't know it. Like, you've met Bob, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. He doesn't He doesn't look like uh, he's going to be on stage Wednesday night at the Laugh Factory. You know, like, no one's <laughs> handed him a microphone to entertain people. <laughs> but occasionally he will come out with a one-liner that absolutely floors you, you know? Yeah. And um, I have some of my favorites, but I won't go into them. No, no, that, that, that that's all right, man. I just, I just wanted to at least get that one out and uh, kind of pay yeah. some pay some respects there, um, just for anybody uh, lighter weight lifters for someone to you know go back in time, look up to, or new people that are you know what's obtainable for this light lighter body weight. Hey, uh, that's a prime example, and it's one of the earliest ones we right. probably have in our. I right. guess you could. I mean, grip's been contested and trained for who knows how long in history as a human species, but I'm saying like, if we talk about sanctioned competitions and things going on, it's a pretty short lived sport. So that's right. one of the earlier guys from the early days that yep. someone could kind of go look at. And uh, I guess. And should, and definitely yeah. should. Yeah. And get some inspiration yeah. from. 
No, because yeah, he, he is a prime example of what's possible. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, people don't believe this if they saw me standing next to Bob now because I'm substantially bigger. But he and I are, are very much like we have the same sort of frame, you know, very similar uh, uh, in terms of being undersized uh, during our upbringing, you know, and, and you know, he, he doesn't have huge hands. There's no genetic capacity that he has any advantage or anything that that would be beyond anyone else but bob is really good at shutting off the governor when he goes for a lift mm-hmm. you know um and and also i mean he works he's a workhorse man he's one of those guys that like he, he's a lunch pail guy it's like we're back there and we're training it doesn't matter and it's been a while but it wouldn't matter if it was 35 degrees and raining you know, he'd be out there in a sleeveless shirt and he's just lifting and he's blocking out everything. And yeah. it's, it's actually, it's pretty cool to see, you know, yeah. um, if, if you, if you watched him work, you realize what it took to be somebody that, you know, didn't have a genetic advantage that could do some amazing shit. And, yeah. and that was Bob. So, yeah. So with that being said and him kind of getting, uh, getting you guys introduced to it, or that's one of the first memories you have of kind of, uh, I guess, shifting into grip. Right. When do you guys kind of start to, I guess that group starts to contest it more. You start branching out and meeting these other characters. You start traveling, you start becoming more known in the grip scene as a whole, as opposed to just your area. Right. Well, I think what helped is, you know, what, what Nate browses to like, you know, uh, a grip and steel bending, I kind of was to arm wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I already knew a lot of people in grip before I even really got out there, you know, because there were so many people that were involved in grip that would send me messages, ask me for training advice for arm wrestling and stuff like that. So when I started going to events, I realized I knew a lot of people already, you know what I mean? And also I, I, you know, I, I, I love going and meeting people. So I had a chance to, 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 to meet people. We go up to Ohio. We went to a couple of Chris Rice's events, um, to the Arnold. We went to, uh, Nate's events, uh, in, in New Jersey. Um, we do anything local. Uh, the same year I was arm wrestling at Europa, uh, Iron Mine, this is before arm lifting had like a thing where they were contesting Axel and Rolling Thunder and, and some of their implements. And they were supposed to start at a certain time. Well, I'm going back and forth from the arm wrestling stage to to that stage. So I go lift, and I come over, pull a match, go back over, lift. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so it, it it at first it was like if there's a grip event coming up, we'll just kind of go do it if it's within you know driving distance. And and then it wasn't until like 2000, I think it was 2016, I put a, a grip event on at the Northwest Georgia Fitness Expo. And then we started doing them in 17 and, and we've pretty much been running regular ones since, but, but the original pickup artists was, it was me, Jason, Robert Miller, um, uh, and, and, and Bob really. And then, you know, the, the, the names and faces would change, you know, over the years, uh, Robert moved out to Fayetteville, uh, Robert and I were very much kindred spirits because, you know, Robert was kind of like me. He just really was interested in all around strength. You know, before I had messed up my shoulder, I wanted to go do a Highland Games event with him and stuff. And, and, and so, so, and, and Robert's just, he's been a good friend. Didn't start out that way. He was really fucking annoying. And I used to bust his balls more than any human being you've ever met in your life. 
See, I didn't, I didn't know that. Ball, and he deserved it. I didn't right? know that. So what, what, was, what was the deal with that? Because I, I, I've okay. never gotten that vibe from you guys. Oh, no, I love, I love Robert. Like I said, like yeah. I, today I consider him one of my best, if not most reliable friends. You know, like if I needed something, I, I would call Robert before almost anybody okay. and vice versa. And, you know, and he knows that. Yeah. So now it's like if, if, if I'm busting his balls, he knows it's not, it doesn't have any sort of, you know, negative intent. You know, I bust his balls because I love because he laughs when I do it. But I I never forget I was I was doing this charity event at, at UNC Pembroke. They they there was this uh, fraternity and they wanted to run an arm wrestling event. So they contacted me and they said, Hey, would you be willing to come out and do a charity arm wrestling event at UNC Pembroke? I said, Sure. So I go out there and I'm you know I'm arm wrestling fucking frat boys and you know and, and everything and. And we're having a good old time, having a bunch of laughs. On the way home, I get a phone call, and it's it's Robert Miller. And this would have been like 09 or 2010, I forget which. And uh, he, he calls me up and, and you know, really polite. Hey, you know, I got your name from Bob Gianelli. Really interested in arm wrestling. I heard you're the guy to talk to. You know, I, I, I live just outside of Gastonia. So I'm thinking, yeah, this guy sounds like a nice guy. This weekend, the next weekend, motherfucker walks into my house through the front door and just starts busting everybody's balls. I'm looking at him like, what, do we know each other? Like, who the fuck are you? You know, yeah. you, don't, you haven't earned ball busting credibility yet. That's not how this works. Yeah. You don't just walk into a room and bust people's balls, you know? So I, I would fuck with Robert because, you know, that was that was a shot fire. So I would fuck with Robert prank him. I mean, some of the funniest pranks I ever did on a human being, I did on Robert, you know, coming back from arm wrestling tournaments and stuff. Yeah. Um, But, like, you know, all told, you know, over the years, you know, Robert became one of my best friends. You know, he's he's just such a good dude. You know, and, and I was unbelievably sad when he, when he moved out to, uh, to Fayetteville. So, because he was one of my favorite training partners because, you know, he had just such diverse interests and strength and and that's great. It wasn't just about grip or any aspect of grip or it was like, Hey, cause, cause we're both kind of full body training guys. It was like, you know, what are you doing for this? What are you doing for that? You know, he's really helpful with input and advice and, and, you know, he turned out to be a really, really honest, straight shooting kind of guy, which, which I, I, I respected a great deal. So, so now he's like a, you know, if, if I'm going somewhere out of state, He's one of the first people uh, I call to see if he wants to to to, to go and uh, and do whatever the thing is. So yeah, we no, have Robert, so much yeah, fun like on I said, road trips. I, I gave uh, I gave Robert a little shout out when I did the uh, AGP five recap with Jason. Yeah. Just because, yeah. like I said, I, I've lifted against Robert several times, got to train with him um, out this way a little yeah. bit a couple times. So yeah, Robert's Robert's cool. I just wanted to kind of hear a little bit of the. The intro yeah. of you guys meeting or some of that stuff. So, and he's a strong old motherfucker too. Let me tell you. No, he's he's strong. I, I tell everybody if if they're at a competition okay. and he's lifting, I say don't uh, don't underestimate that guy. Can I give you two fantastic Robert Miller ball busting stories? Yeah, I'm no, I'm I'm ready for okay. everything. Yeah. So we go out to this tournament in Elizabeth City, okay, and you know we stay at a hotel the next day, okay. We're at this coffee shop 
And, you know, I don't know what the hell has taken him so long. Finally, he comes out and he puts his cup, his full cup of coffee on the hood of my car. And then I guess he was going back in to use the bathroom or something. And there were all these speed bumps in the parking lot. So when he comes out, I'm driving over the speed bumps in the parking lot with his coffee on my hood. And every time I hit a speed bump, I look at him and he'd go like this, like his coffee was going to fall over. You know, so finally I circle back around and he goes to grab his coffee and then I speed up so he can't grab it. And he goes to grab it again and I do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So, so later that night, because, you know, well, not, it was late. I'm trying to, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of, yeah, it was nighttime because it was dark when we, we got to this one gas station to fuel up. And uh, <laughs> we parked behind the building, the gas station. You know, the pumps were all in the front. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I, he was still in there going to the bathroom, whatever the fuck. I mean, taking forever. You know, yeah. the guy's not in a hurry. So me and this guy, Clint Allred, we, we circle around. And we're sitting there in the dark and I cut my lights off. But I wanted to sit in an area where I could see him when he walked out. Just the confusion, so, like you guys left him? Oh, my God. So he walks out, and the first thing he does is this. What the fuck, man? Like that. <laughs> and, and and Clint's like, oh, man, I feel bad. We got to go. And I'm like, no, 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 just a little while longer. Just a little while longer, you know? Yeah. He's going nuts. I see him go to reach for his cell phone because he's going to, you know, he's going to call somebody up because we have we left him two hours away <laughs> <laughs> so so you know of course i pull, of course i picked him back up but yeah. he was just like man you are an unconscionable ball breaker you know but <laughs> again he's such a good sport that he actually gets a kick out of it there's certain yeah. people you just can't do that with because they just oh, take yeah. it personally and yeah. and they think like you're doing it to like hurt them or something and it's like Make i think at serious. that point he knew my intentions well enough to know that like I'm just a colossal fucking ball buster. And, you know, and, and also these are the experiences you have on road trips that you tend to remember more than you remember the tournaments. Yeah. I have so many funny fucking road trip stories from all these years, 26, 27 years of, of, of going to events. It's, it's, it's great, you know, and, and, and I remember those, you know, more than I remember the, the tournaments because I've thrown out, the vast majority of my awards all the, over the years, like when we downsized our house, got rid of all my trophies and plaques and, and all of that, you know, and, and, and there was a time, I think when I was younger, where that was, those were like prized possessions to me. And then I realized at one point that, you know, I'm not collecting trophies, I'm collecting experiences. And, and really the, the experiences I remember aren't about the, the, they don't really have much to do with the competition as yeah. much as they have to do with the camaraderie, you know, and, and, and the fun that we had at the competition or on the way to the competition. Yeah. It's usually yeah. stuff uh, like very similar, like any competitions I've ever done. It's usually like the dinner after or wh- whatever sport I was ever yeah. playing. It was like you said, the road trip, there's something, it, it's never like the game, the fight, right. the competition. There's always right. the, the antics around it and the people are almost what, Oh, yeah. what make it yeah. the best? Yeah, so. and it's like road tripping yeah. with Jason too. Like you know, Jason, 
if you get to know him, is so fucking funny, you know. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, we've come back from an event and, you know, I'll drop him off or something. And, like, my face hurts. Like, literally, like, I feel, like, pain in my face because I just spent the better part of six hours laughing my ass off. Being Jason's hilarious. Like I said, uh, some of the best stuff about competing at your guys' events is just watching Jason and listening to his movie quotes. Right. I mean, that's that's a... That, that's a highlight for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I and, like to I like to live serious, but at the same time, right. Jason's hilarious, and I'm I'm tuning. And in. you know, he's an elementary school administrator, right? I, I didn't know that. That's news to me. But yeah. So, so you ever see <laughs> Lean on Me, Crazy Joe Clark with Morgan Freeman? <laughs> yeah. He will literally stay in character as Joe Clark, you know, <laughs> and 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 say the same things that Morgan Freeman said in the movie to his students, who are, by the way, in elementary school. Yeah. You know? Oh, oh yeah. man, like, right. no, that's that's hilarious. Um, I don't. I yeah. can totally see Jason doing that. Um, yeah. Now, j- to shift off of that just a little bit, I'm still going to stick with competitions here. Okay. Um, because like we all have our, you know, first moments or introduction to this stuff, mm-hmm. right? So I have to bring this up because it's you and I'm I'm hosting is uh, I've been training groups grip in my garage and this is a few years back i'm training grip in my garage i you know you do the thing and you buy a rolling handle you you find out that there's a saxon bar you just start buying random shit and you try it out and that, that you're just lifting your form is terrible you're trying to copy what the good people are doing and at right. the time it's like yeah there's a couple organizations but there's like zero events by me i don't know anybody it's like where do i even do this thing you know i don't know but i'm just like pulling numbers and going by what the website for the handle says is good or bad and you know i don't know i guess i'm kind of strong i'm no clue right so i uh finally i don't know maybe a few months of doing some stuff i was like man uh you know I, i always tell people you know like i said i saw jed and adam's videos and stuff like that so i I think I just messaged Jed and I did not know Jed at the time. Jed did not know me at all. Um, and I just kind of messaged him. I think I maybe had like purchased an inch dumbbell through him, like through email okay. or something. So we had only like emailed. So me and Jed are not at the time, me and Jed are not like, cool. We're not buddies. I'm, I'm literally yeah. a stranger in the middle of nowhere. Um, who has like mm-hmm. two months of screwing around in the garage with grip experience. And I want to buy an inch dumbbell. So that's all. That's, right, right. that's all I got. Um, and I message him and I'm like, Hey, I'm trying to do grip competitions, but like, I can't find any. And he's just like, where do you live? And I'm like, North Carolina. And he's like, Oh, uh, there is, I think there's supposed to be one like down close to you, something, something. I'm like, well, okay. Like shoot me that info. So it took a while for us to like get the info set up. And, uh, he shoots me the info and it's, a competition you're hosting. So that is my first ever grip competition was one that you hosted. So I drive out closer to Charlotte, like Matthews, whatever it is. So I, I drive out that way. Oh, the one at the arm wrestling tournament. The one at yeah. the Southeast. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you guys had this like Southeast regionals arm wrestling thing. So this is my first grip competition. I'm driving out. I don't know what to expect. It's just me and my wife. We're, we're cruising out. And 
I'm yeah, not she necessarily... looks thrilled, by the way. Your wife looked... Well, <laughs> your wife was like... I mean, I almost felt bad for her. She brought, you know... Then I saw then I saw you guys at Clint's thing, and I was like, oh, wow, she came to another one, you know? And, oh, no, and, yeah, no, yeah. But that one day, I guess maybe it was sitting through the arm wrestling and waiting well, for everything to I was start. Well, I was going to say, the thing about that is, is we get there, and, like, there's so many people because there's, like, I guess multiple states and multiple teams are arm wrestling. Yeah. Before yeah. the grip stuff happened. So, like, right. I mean, I, I'm literally, like, I don't know who I'm talking to. I had reached out to you because I think Jed had told me. So I'm like, Hey, I want to do that grip thing. So I had like sent you like one or two messages on Facebook, but I don't know you at all. And you're like, yeah, just get up with me at the event, whatever. So like you're emceeing up on stage, you're emceeing. There's like, I don't know, 200 people out there just running around with, you know, folding chairs everywhere. It's fairly chaotic. And I'm like, I'm supposed to do chaos. a grip thing after this. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to do a grip thing after this. I don't know what, what's going to happen, but I'm pulling on the axle and a Saxon or something. Um, and, right. uh, but yeah, so I think I like hunted you down. Cause I was like asking somebody, I'm like, where's this James guy at? Like I, I'm supposed to come here and talk to James and like in between like intermissions or something, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to happen afterwards, whatever. Just hang out. And I'm like, all right. So I said that. Yeah. No, like what oh, you were like okay. in the middle of like doing stuff, but you basically were like, yeah, you know, we're going to be doing the grip thing after this. So once all this oh, okay. wraps up. I wasn't up, a dick about it though, was I? No, 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 oh, okay. no, no, no. You were, you... Sometimes when I'm announcing an event and people want to have like, I don't know, fucking story hour with James that come up to me and talk oh. to me. No, I'm no, like, no. yeah, I'm not in the middle of something here. I'm not trying to like run brackets. <laughs> yeah. and... it, no, no, it, keep, carry on. Tell me about everything that's yeah. going on in your life. No, it, don't distract me. You this know? wasn't bad. I'm, this I'm wasn't... not over here trying to do fucking math or anything, you know? It's <laughs> yeah, like... This, this was a good interaction. So, right. yeah, this was okay, a good go. interaction. And uh, so I, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hang out and watch arm wrestling. So it's like at the time, I'm not really familiar with it, and I don't really care. And like you said, me and my wife are just hanging out. But then after, like, certain matches, it's like you get one guy's like banging on the table and like cussing someone out. And then you're emceeing and you're like cracking jokes on him. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm starting to like bust out laughing at like how you're like, you're like clowning the people that are freaking out and getting into fights over the matches. And uh I do like, my Don Rickles routine usually. Yeah, but basically, but like, so, so me and my wife are watching it and it gets to the point where like, we don't know anybody's names obviously, but we're like, Oh, Hey, blue shirts back up, blue shirts back up. Cause it's like, we're cracking up at like, I don't know, certain people because of the dumb shit they're doing. And it, it becomes yeah. actually like, I forget that I'm even going to be doing a grip competition because right. I was so entertained by the arm wrestling that was going on. So it, it turned right. out to be a good thing um, and like kind of a funny thing. But yeah, it's like, dude, I was, I'm just there to do a grip thing. It's like, I'm in the bathroom just taking a piss and some dude like walks up next to me and he's like, uh, what weight you pulling? And I'm just like, I'm just here for a grip thing, dude. I don't arm wrestle. <laughs> like, right, know, right. like what the fuck? I don't know. I don't there's, know what's happening. There's so many of these. Guys. You see a lot of this in like young arm wrestlers or new arm wrestlers. They're yeah. so insecure that if they see anybody that's anywhere near their weight, they have to ask them, hey, what class are you in? You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, I'm just here to, to do like grip, dude. Or something, you yeah. know? I'm like, I'm just doing grip. And I'm, I'm trying to take a piss and I'm going right, to do a grip competition. Right. So I'm, you know, yeah. I'm not it's your like, enemy. Um, like, yeah. But, uh, like, what do you, and besides like we're at the urinals, wouldn't we have a conversation? You're going to, you're going to reach in and give me like a reverse rodeo grip or something. Like what's, what are we doing? <laughs> so, you know, let's so, talk yeah, about uh, this later. 
Yeah. But now I was going to ask you, like I said, with that, with that being my first competition, do you remember, do you remember anything from that competition or that being the very first time little. we ever met? Very little. I remember very little from that competition. I, I, I just, I remember being exhausted, you well, know, you, after you, you had emceed for who knows how long. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I remember, I remember making fun of that one guy you know, who, who had like the, 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 the real tight tank top and the blonde hair slicked back. And, you know, he seemed to be in a hurry and I was telling him like, Hey, look, man, they'll, they'll wait for you. I know you're filming an underwear commercial after this, but you know, <laughs> you know, keep your Calvin Klein's on pal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I remember yeah. that, but cause I, I always remember good jokes, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like you did real well. But I don't. I don't remember much about it now. I, no. I, I I lifted okay for it being my first time. Um, right. But yeah, I just like I said, it was just it was, it was my first introduction to an, a true grip competition. Yeah. And you were the host of it, so I felt like since I'm interviewing you on the show now, you know, here two right. or three years later, whatever it is, um, it was just worth mentioning. Like, oh hey, do you remember that? Because like that's when we first met. Um, yeah, then, yeah. Well, I do remember you being there, and and again, like representing yourself well. I also remember there being an issue with the anvil handle. Wasn't yeah. there? Didn't you point out there was a like? I don't even remember. I just remember just being like, oh, for fuck's sake! You know, <laughs> it, was the, it was the last event. It was like the last right. event of the like the whole night. Yeah, but but right. no. So like I said, I, that that was my first competition, and then since then, like I said, I stuck with it and everything like that. But I I, I just. Yeah, give, th- give, and you give came thanks by the to house you. a few times too. No, yeah, I've, and, I've been out and trained multiple times yeah, and, and done and did stuff. some really cool shit too. But uh, you know, and and you never posted this from the event, by the way. And I wanted I wanted this video of you uh, lifting that sh- uh, Schusler uh, Eagle Head thirty five by the hub. Yeah, I thought I thought I put it on, on uh, YouTube. I might have to go back and check. Oh, uh, okay. It might be on but YouTube, no, but not Instagram. Was... I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Man, that, that was a wild lift, man. I'm telling you, that is like I know you said you feel like it's comparable to a, a, a an old school York, but I don't know, man. I've never felt an old school York that's that hard. It, yeah, it's it's tough for me to say sometimes too, because like I said, certain I don't yeah. know. It's like if you're cold, it, you know, everything feels impossible. But then when you're warmed up after a competition, yeah. sometimes so it, it, it's tough for me to say. And to be to be but fair, it was I've one only of the had, most impressive uh, feats. And, and to be fair, I've only had my hands on one deep dish York plate ever <laughs> to hug. Oh, so, yeah. so I don't have like a variety. I, I don't have James Fuller's uh, catalog of plates to just mess around with. Right. So I, right. I have right. limited, uh, limited data on what hard hubs are. I've, I've done a decent amount to kind of know, but yeah, I haven't, like, I don't have like six deep dishes in my backyard. You know uh, what I wanted to ask you? What's up? Do your listeners know the the story of of Blob Zombie? How that all came about? Uh, they don't. Um, no, I, I, that was something I was going to bring up at some point. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, I just it, saw the picture behind you, and I was like, yeah, we should tell the story because it's pretty fucking funny. Yeah. No, I'm I'm totally down. Um, and I want to say, well, if I just lead into it, I would say that for anybody that doesn't know. I James can speak for himself, but I would say he's pretty anti blob or he's anti cutting up vintage York dumbbells. Yes. Yes. The second one, the second one, he's, he's anti cutting up 
vintage short dumbbells for blob training. And I am most of the blobs I have, I did not cut myself, but I have been known to cut a, a blob or two or a dumbbell me. or two. Oh, so, me. But you know what? This is, a, this is a good thing. It's like you and I, we agree on most things, right? But there can be a couple of things we disagree on and still have love for each other. Yeah. Now, so, most people don't realize this, but if you take a York hex dumbbell, I'm not a York hex, I'm sorry, a rubber hex dumbbell, okay, and you cut off the end and you take off the rubber coating, it's actually shaped like a blob. It's not as good. <laughs> okay, fuck you. Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna right? stand my ground. <laughs> I'm still what makes it bullshit? It's not as good. <laughs> You had you you never even gripped one before. How do you fucking know it's not as good? You're talking about you're talking about like those Hampton dumbbells with the stuff. I've seen I've seen people blob those, but I they're they're, they're too flat. I don't not enough slope. I I, I know I know it's a subject, but that that's why okay. that's why the story well, is how about it is. <laughs> make a mold of a blob and because. Anyway, all right, let's I, fuck that. We'll get to the we'll get to the thing. All right, I would be down so, if, if if we could mold Zach, blobs. If we could mold blobs and save all the dumbbells and keep yeah, like the, the whole blob thing. fifty thing. Yeah, that, that, come up that, with that, a blob fifty two point five. That's a good. Or, yeah, that, that's a good middle yeah. ground. That's a good middle yeah. ground. But there's still something about that original. I got to at least have one. Then we can then we can do the replicas. Um, you know what you got to do? You got to come with me down to Summer Strong one day. No, so I, can, yeah. I would like Cause, to because um, Pops has got the uh, Pop Soren's great. You would love him. Well, I've, and, I've actually uh, reached out to him. I haven't heard back yet, um, but I would like to get him on the show at some point. Well, um, I'm going to be seeing him not this Friday, but next Friday. Okay. So, yeah. so, so maybe I'll I'll talk to him see if uh you know because he's he is a busy guy, man. Well, and, like, and that's why I don't I don't press the issue too much. But yeah, yeah. I, would lo- I would love to get down and lift the original blob and the same Thomas right. inch dumbbell that Mark Henry cleaned and pressed. I, I would and love to just. I'm not going to clean it, but I'll lift it, you know? Right. And right. it's everything else. It's like, if, oh, if, yeah. if you don't know, if, do you know about uh, the, the Stark Center in Austin? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, the, 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 the Museum for Physical Culture. It's got all the old yeah. weights and stuff. I'm telling you, I love the Stark Center. Been there. It's awesome. Richard's um, is better. You know, Richard Soren's lobby puts it to shame. Got it. Yeah, I, 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 lobby, I, I can see that. Just the lobby. Yeah, it's it's just, I yeah, I mean, and there's just something about being in that space that I love. And there are so many different, you know, uh, feats of strength that you can do, whether it's anvils, you know, blobs. He's He's got like uh, the, this this one shackle that weighs like 150 mm-hmm. pounds with this huge handle. You know what I mean? That we, I mean, he's got so many different tests of strength there, you know, and, and the cool thing about Summer Strong is, now it used to be at this this little and and that was one of my my intros to grip too was I went to Summer Strong I think five with Bob Sundin and um you know I, I knew it was Richard Soren's birthday that they did it every year for Pop's birthday mm-hmm. uh, but I never met him yeah and like he you know and I was kind of nervous to meet him I'm I'm never like starstruck or anything but for some reason like I knew he was like the history of strength like he was a connective tissue between some of the older people. Like, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about, like, new Andy Jackson and Bob Hoffman from York, new, you know, had met uh, uh, the mighty Adam when he was 13. Like, you know, I mean, just amazing stuff. 
Uh, yeah. He, he went to the, the YMCA in Elizabeth, New Jersey, where all these guys that were in the fitness magazines at the time trained. So, like, you know, he was, you know, there was this history of strength that, that, that he came with, and I was kind of excited to meet him. And before I could even say a word to him, he walked over to me and he said, now those are a set of forearms. And <laughs> like any yeah. kind of nerves I had completely went away. And and it was like, it was such a, you know, I, I just made a commitment to try to get back to as many summer strongs as I could, you know, but now that he has it, like they moved Sornex is a huge facility now. And yeah. now where they are is, uh, you know, I mean, it, so, summer strong has grown into this huge event. It used to just be like, you know, the first summer strong I went to, um, uh, I think it was uh, Rich Williams had pressed uh, two inch dumbbells overhead like 18 times. Um, uh, Andrew Derniet had one handed deadlift without straps, 455 pounds. Like, you know, uh, there were just all these really cool feats of strength going on. And I loved it so much. You know, I, I wanted to. You know, I wanted to, 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 to be able to do some of the stuff that these guys were doing. And, and it was one of the things that really got me interested in doing you know, general feats of strength yeah. was, was going to Summer Strong. So, so I always recommend people go to it. it is, it's a blast. And then after the event, you know, it's just doing feats of strength. You know, one year it was uh, me and Chris Ryder and, and Derek Poundstone, and we're just tearing phone books and stuff. And, 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 and it was, you know, I mean, just like, I don't know, man, those are the, those are the, the, the times, you know, everybody's it, it's so great to get together, meet new people, strong people that can show you stuff and, and just hang out, man, you know, and kick it. I mean, yeah. And with it, with it being like a couple hours away, it's, it's definitely on my to-do list. And like I said, right. so I, I, I definitely, even if it's going with you or right. one of these days planning a trip to get down there, I definitely like to do that. So it, it it'll happen. Right. Um, so back to now, the blog. I, I was gonna back say, yeah, back back right. to the blob stuff. Now, I'm not so, gonna go to war. I'm not gonna go to war with you on blobs and cutting them or not. Right. We can tell the story so, of the name. So Zach's idea was to film a zombie movie, which I fucking loved. The idea yeah. was that I had to protect my, you know, my bevy of dumbbells, my lot of dumbbells on my York, my beautiful York rack, mm-hmm. old school York rack with a full set of dumbbells that you know, Zach and other gripsters would come after it gets dark and try to raid my garage. And I'd said we could call it Blob Zombie. And then you became Blob Zombie. Or yeah, I started well, calling you Blob Zombie. Yeah, now, <laughs> now, this is what I love, man. Because this is... So I've given people nicknames now that they've created businesses around, mm-hmm. that they've had tattooed on them. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's... Ron Klemba, who I nicknamed the High Chief, has High Chief Muscle Cream now. Okay. You know? Yeah, it's so cool. Like, I love giving people a nickname that'll stick. So, yeah. so you know, Blob Zombie. It, yeah, that, that, that's where, it, and obviously that's kind of like, I guess, a play on words with Rob Zombie. It, you know, if people can't pick that up, it's like, okay, whatever. But it's, right. that's why they can't play really connect the dots with that one. They're not my kind of people. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so it was kind of like, I was joking saying that like, you know, James has these dumbbells and it would almost be like Holocaust type stuff. Like you're hiding them in the floorboards. You know what I mean? Like you're hiding them in the attic in the floorboards. Listen, you, 
the Holocaust is not funny. I'm not no, laughing at that. I, I know. I am laughing at the fact that I would completely yeah. fucking Anne Frank my my 135. Yeah. <laughs> because every so you assholes when you get to it and cut it up. Yeah, because I basically just said like the like the the movie would just be like me or Jed or other people that are like pro blob. We're just constantly in search for these dumbbells, and you're like on the run having to hide them. You know, no, I'm I'm sitting up there with a double barrel sawed off like fucking (laughs) Elmer Fudd and you motherfuckers in my front yard. Limbs are flying off and shit, and you just keep coming. Yeah, dead eyes. You know, so that got news for you. Spielberg, Spielberg. Okay. That's who we got to reach out to. So, w- with that being said, it's like that was kind of the the premise of the movie. We were joking and saying, like, yeah, it would just be you know these zombies are or they're basically like zombies trying to get to the the dumbbells and cut them up, and James is trying to protect them, and then Blob Zombie was like the name he suggested, and then that's just kind of what it became. So, um, right. So that's, that's why I was looking at the poster and, you know, I, oh, I just yeah. couldn't And that's what the poster is, is it's supposed it's to be so awesome. a blob, so awesome. you know, out of the dirt, blob zombie. And Joe Hodgson did the artwork for me and it turned out really cool. So I thank Joe for doing the artwork. And like I said, it's Props hilarious. That, and it's hilarious that you came up with the name and everything. But if anybody didn't know that or they haven't seen me wear like a blob zombie shirt or something, whatever, um, that. James so is the one that cool. granted that title, and that came from us talking about that kind of a movie or something or that premise. But uh, it'll be low budget, but it'll be like <laughs> Attack of the Killer Tomatoes low budget, yeah. where we'll use the low budget aspects of it to make it even funnier. Like we'll make okay. it so campy, and it'll yeah. be so obviously it'll be like a Norm Macdonald joke. Do you, do you think is, we? Uh, do you think? I think with the right amount of work, we could probably get it on Tubi. You think? Think we get it on you know Tubi? What? I got news for you. You're giving me a lot to think about. <laughs> okay. So, um, but yeah, like if for anybody that doesn't let me, know, let me like, call some people. like J- James, James would be like curling some giant dumbbell. And I'd be like, he'd be talking about doing a dumbbell curl or he'd be doing dumbbell presses. And I would just always be in the comments like, yeah. man, like those four blobs look pretty nice. And it like would just always be about blob comments that had nothing to do with the actual lift of a dumbbell. So, and I think um, I sent you something like over my dead body, or you'd yeah. have to grab it from my cold, dead hands, or something. Yeah, yeah. So, that's a little bit of background as far as us messing around about the cutting up of the dumbbells and all that, and how Blob Zombie came about. So, yeah, James, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because, yeah, that was one I wanted to kind of touch on. Um, with your looks, with your looks and my ingenuity, we could take on Hollywood, <laughs> we could do it, we could take on the world. Oh, man. So, um, I, I guess, like I said, I covered my first competition with you, talked about the blob yeah. zombie stuff. Um, we've really hit on kind of the arm wrestling, the transitioning to grip, stuff like that. Um, man, with, uh, I guess in the grip world, what would you deem as probably some of your, I guess, proudest moments? Not not to try to get all serious on you, but um, um, yeah. So- what are some feats so, that you're most proud of or what are some, uh, obviously you right. have some world records and we could talk about that, but yeah. So not the last time I, I broke the lever top record, but the time before, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't been pulling more than one seventeen off the ground and in training, you know, but I actually took three weeks off before the event, you know, because 
I mean, not that anybody should or should want to train lever top. I do think it's a good tool for people that would want to like train, you know, a drag hook in, mm-hmm. in arm wrestling. It's a very similar kind of motion. You know, you're, you're, you're pronating really hard, you know, and you're keeping everything tucked. And I think that, that going up in that, like I noticed over the years, even though I hadn't trained arm wrestling since 2012, that I still had a strong hook. Like people would go into my hook and be like, yeah. And, and really the only thing I was doing was heavy curls, heavy preacher curls and the, um, the lever top. And I've never trained it like I only trained it religiously for like an 18 month period, you know, and, and that was when I broke the record the the second time. And I think I, I got it up to like 115 or something. And then I in training, I was at 117. So I went to this one event and I want to say it was two years ago at new and used gym uh, warehouse and store um, in, in Hickory. Um, and I just, you know, my my third attempt, I hit 117 point something, and I was going to just pass because we had, like, three more events to go. And Cody Ward and Mike Bianchi were like, come on, man, it's four more pounds. Just mm-hmm. just try it. And honestly, dude, I mean, I got my head right and everything. I was kind of moving on to the next event, but I got my head right and I got under it. And it, it was like, it, it was a good lift. And, and, and I landed it and I just, it was just, I think it's one of my proudest because I wasn't expecting it. When I pushed it to 122, I was expecting it because I knew I was doing that in training or thereabouts in training. So I had a feeling I could get about there, you know, but, but when I, when I was only hitting 117 in training and managed to pull 121, uh, I think it was the aspect of it that it, it surprised me, you know, that, 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 that it, that really kind of hit home. It, it felt it like uh, in like 2002, I arm wrestled a guy named Mike Surplus. who was like one of the best lightweights in, in, in that part of the country. And I had beaten the guy named Norm Debio for the first time earlier in the event. And like the next match I had Mike and they called him flash really, really strong puller. And I beat him and the place went fucking nuts. You know, and I was I was as surprised as anybody in the building. And I think I think honestly I had that same sort of feeling when I when I pulled the lever top that one twenty one on lever top. Yeah, um, kind of like all the stars aligned, and you weren't really expecting. Yeah, it. the uh, the day I pulled two fifty fives, I pinched two fifty fives for the first time was a very similar thing because okay. I had. It was one of those days where I had tried it and missed like dozens of times and I started to cut the webbing on my thumb and I literally went into my car because it was just one of those rare cold mornings, you know, and it was like this cold, dry morning and I have pretty bad arthritis in my thumb and my, in my, in both of my shoulders and stuff. So I literally just went into the car and turned the heat on, you know, and I'm sure Bob was up the hill thinking about what a pussy I am because I was, you know, in the car sitting in the heat. But I was like, I got one more shot at this thing today. And I went up the hill. I walked over. I grabbed it. And I pinched it. I picked it up. And full lockout and all the way down. And, you know, that was one of those things where it didn't take me very long to get to 245s pinch. I could pretty much do 235s out of the gate. You know, 45s were only a couple of months down the road after that. 
when I first lifted them way back when. But 55s, man, that that took me a long time to get to. And a lot of training and a lot of frustration because, you know, it's not a linear path with one-handed pinch. Because one-handed pinch, there's some days where, you know, chalk is sticking to the plates and, or, or I don't know, the, the dew points at a certain level where the plates feel grippy, you know, and you're, you're just, you could sit there and you could do holds and reps and stuff like that. And other, you could come back the next week with a similar weight and go to pension and it's glued to the floor, you know? So with those friction lifts, they can be very frustrating to train. And I didn't think it was going to take me like a year, year and a half to go from 45s to 55s, but it did. So that was one that I was, I was pretty proud of. Um, I never was into grippers, but I had this one event in Tennessee where I missed on a number three that was eight pounds less than one that I hit. And I think the fact that in my second attempt, I missed this one gripper that was like 140-ish or whatever it was. Um, and then I hit it in my third attempt. And then in my fourth attempt, I skipped over like two grippers and I just said, fuck it, I'm going for it. And, and I mean, it's not a, it's not a big number by any means. It was like 147 back then. But, yeah. but the fact that I went and I jumped seven pounds and, and a seven pounds from a gripper I missed and then managed to summon up whatever I needed to to get it, that, that was a thrill for me. And like I said, it's not a huge deal. I ended up MM setting heavier grippers than that, you know, later, you know, past, you know, beyond that. But, but at that time, that was such a big deal to me, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Other grip feats. Cause you've, you've done like a, have you done, you've done like a 3.5 with a mash monster set? Yeah. Yeah. Very light one though. Like a 168. Okay. When Vinny came to my house, he actually has one that's rated at like 159, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. I, I did, I have a, you know, I've been having these elbow issues. Yeah. Um, but you know, there was a time a couple of years ago, but well, it was a little over a year ago where, you know, I was, I was getting to a point where I could like, double a medium to heavier three and you know from an mm set and i i I had a gold gripper in the 170s one of my one of my 3.5s and i just started developing the elbow pain and you know it's just that's the frustrating thing you know i find as i get older it's like i just can't train grip as often as i'd like and there's certain things that i do grip wise that flare up this, this elbow pain. And, and, and it bothers me because, you know, I really love training heavy curls and, and it could just be one of those things you love what you're good at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I try to train everything, but I really love training heavy curls because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. I've, I've, I've really like the progress I've made in it. I'm so unbelievably proud of, you know, and, and I've been on the shelf for months doing heavy curls today. I think I've, I did a, a single that felt pretty light actually with 90 um, just and, and, and did it without pain. But I was getting really close to being able to strictly curl just standing a 120 pound dumbbell, like really close before this started nagging me. Yeah. And, and now it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating and I want to get back to it. So, so yeah, but grippers is one of those things where, you know, I have a bucket list on my bucket list of feats 
you know, closing a, a light end number four is on that is on that list. And and so is lifting the inch. And and I've yeah. been close a bunch of times. I've had it up mid-calf. I, I tore that pulley in this knuckle. It's middle finger, middle knuckle. Gotcha. And it could be a hand size thing. I don't know. I can't train it frequently. It'll start really aggravating me. I have the arthritis in my thumb from since 2005 that got diagnosed. So it's like. Yeah, there's some, know, kind of some injuries going on that kind of yeah. make it a little inconvenient. But, <laughs> but I mean, look, it's like right now I'm really focused on going and, and pulling the Denny Stones. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, but, you know, after that, like, and, and after I get a, a better lift with 10 pounds on the weaver stick, like one that I'm really satisfied with, you know, I mean, I'm my goal, my grip goal, I'm going to have two of them lift the mm-hmm. inch and, and, and then close a, a, a light four. I think Bob okay. has got one that's rated like 194. And I mean, it could take some doing, but I really think, you know, I know what I was doing when I used grippers as my main move, how, like, if I specialized it, I could make progress. And it's a very slow thing. And I do think it would take me, you know, a year and a half to two years to get to that point. And if I can remain healthy, I think I can do it. But, but, but yeah, I mean, maybe one of the limitations is the arthritis or, you know, whatever I have going on in my elbow and and maybe it'll prevent it. But I, I still am hopeful that I, I can have a chance to train it at some future and at some point in the future and at least go for it, you know. Okay. Yeah. And now that with that being said, you have uh I mean you just mentioned the uh Denny Stones. So do you have a kind of a timeline set for that feat in yeah. your head? Yeah, I mean I either want to get out there before I turn fifty or go there on my fiftieth birthday. You know, and, and just take a trip out to Europe. Um, some of my favorite people that I've met going to like world events and arm wrestling are, are, you know, some of the guys from England and some of the, and, and, and a lot of the people in general from, from, uh, Sweden. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to go out there around my 50th birthday, lift the Denny stones and then, you know, make it over to the mainland essentially. And, and just, you know, travel through Europe. And, and, you know, so many cities, I'm one of those people that when I travel, I'm, I'm really into culture and stuff. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh, here's a resort on the beach. That looks like every other resort on the beach everywhere else. This one just yeah. happens to be in Cozumel or whatever. I'm not one of those people. I'm one of those people yeah. that's like, Cozumel is a pretty cool island. This is the touristy area. I'm going to rent a scooter or something and ride to the other side and, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and just really, you know, that, that's just how I am. So I'd love to go to Europe. I've been to different places in Asia, Australia. I really would love to go to Europe and and just, you know, explore um, and, and gradually make my way by train up to Sweden. Um, when I had this hosted the Southeast Regionals in 2009, uh, May Lynn, uh, I think I think she got divorced. She was May Lynn Kleinsmith at the time, um, was a Swedish world champion and her and her brother Danny came and, and stayed. And I mean, we, you know, we became fast friends. And I always said, like, I always love the people from Sweden. They're so fucking cool. You know, if you go to a world event, I'd love to, I'd love to just, you know, gradually by train make my way mm-hmm. up and, 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 you know, maybe leave. Cause I have another friend who I, I knew who was the Charlotte arm wrestler. She moved to Finland. So, you know, maybe just 
make the trip all the way up and around, take a flight from like Helsinki back home, you know, flying yeah. to Scotland, lift the dinnies, go on an adventure, you know, make my way up there and then, and then fly home, you know, and yeah. that's a, that's a bucket but, list trip. Yeah. So, so with the, with that being like a bucket list type deal and the, uh, the Denny's maybe being the primary thing uh, as far as feats of strength while on this trip, you know, you're taking in the culture and other stuff, or you'd have other things you'd want to, other stops you'd want to do. Are you interested in any other stones or any other feats of strength while you kind of make your run or would it be kind of like well, knock that out and then enjoy the rest? Not really there uh, okay. to be honest with you. I mean, I don't, I don't think the way that my ever since, I mean, I'm not sure that I, I'm pretty sure I would never have been able to do this because, but, but since my car accident in 2018 and my hip and my knee and then the shoulder surgery, there's no chance of me picking up and, 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 you know, the Husafel stone or something and okay. walking with it. But, but, but it would, you know, that, that I think if I was, if I didn't have the unfortunate accident and was healthy, I think I would, I would go for that. But uh, yeah. honestly, you know, the place that I really want to go and I might go next year, and this might be a really good guest for you too, uh, is I want to go to John Oka's and, and John has, he's out in Maui and he's got so many different stones, ring stones, and he's got a couple that are very comparable to, to the Denny's. And, you know, I, I know they had that terrible fire and everything, but my wife and I were talking about taking an anniversary trip out to Hawaii and I would, you know, of course, John is such a good guy. He's such a generous guy. You know, I mean, again, he's kind of like a Nate Browse where it's like, you know, let me let me just give so much of myself to people. You know, uh, he, of course, opened his home up to us and stuff. So so, you know, I, I definitely that's that's another bucket list trip. I'm not going to lift the Hunsacker stones. I'm not pulling some thousand pound stones, but he's got yeah. some that weigh in the 700s and stuff that that I, I think I'll be able to, to, to lift, if not walk with a little bit. So, yeah, no, that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah. Is there anything else along the lines of, I guess, future goals? Or is that pretty much sum it up? Do you have anything maybe that's slightly outside of grip? Do you have like another strength goal that well, isn't number well, yeah. four or Denny stone? And what would yeah, that be? I mean, so, so um, I, I think of it like this. Okay. Uh, this, this year on my birthday, I finally got to a point where I could deadlift 500 pounds in a hack style deadlift, conventional deadlift, and Jefferson deadlift. So I want to maintain a 500 pound deadlift through 50 years old. Um, I I want to pull triple body weight on a trap bar, and I'm close to that. That might be a month away, two months away. Um, I want to, my goal is always maintain at least a 300 pound bench press, just maintain it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I have, a, a, a set of, uh, well, I need to get one more, but, uh, when I was younger, I was able to, to, to do flat presses with 130 pound dumbbells. I'd like to get back to that. I think I'm pretty close. Uh, I'd like to get back to that, especially at a lower body weight. Um, you know, uh, God, I'd have to look through them. The 10-pound weaver stick was on the list. Um, farmers yeah. farmers walking the two 200-pound zoobers by the Wren was another one that's on the list. Um, you know, so so there's there, – there, there, 
your pizza strength. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to get a, a good, a good curl, strict curl with a 120 pound dumbbell. I do want to do that. Um, I, I and, and then have, that's, that's, that's standing up though, right? You're saying yeah, that's like a strict yeah. curl standing yeah. because you have here that you've uh preacher curled 154 pound dumbbell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't post the video of it just because like, I mean, you don't know this, but the, that, that day that you guys all came down the first day of filming, um, mm-hmm. we were in that garage. You remember how hot it was in that garage? Yeah. I, I look yeah. like I jumped in a swimming pool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like 93 outside and in the garage, it had to be 115, especially with the, the lights and everything, those huge lights they had. Um, oh, yeah. So that night, uh, I, I had some like heat exhaustion, really bad headache, like migraine level headache. Felt like well, you, and that's also because you, you were in there the whole time. Yeah, I mean, other people so, would kind of file in to do their interview or to do their little their little feet, but right. you were in there with the film crew like the whole time. And, and I mean, it, it probably I don't I don't want to be like over exaggerating it but it, you you were almost like in a sauna for like the whole day yes like, yeah that's what it felt like and and the next morning i woke up feeling awful and the next morning was the day that they were going to film me for three hours three to four hours we ended up doing feats of strength and then after that they interviewed me for six and during those three to four hours it was it was like the first thing I did because I told him, look, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta do this like now. Was I, I had a little bit of a warm-up and then I did a hundred and fifty-four pound preacher curl. Because that was always my lifetime goal. It was my original weight class in arm wrestling, 154. It was on, you know, my sorry little weak bicep that everybody used to rip through, you know. And, and it was just, it was just one of those things where I was like, I wonder if I could get up to 70 kilograms, 154 pounds. And, uh, was that so, like a plate loaded setup? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Plate loaded. To make yeah. that exact and everything. Yeah. Yeah. We weighed it, everything like that. Um, then, uh, they had me bending, uh, uh, like 20 inch, uh, by half inch cold rolled steel, uh, some some smaller um, uh, horseshoes. Uh, I was my elbow was healthy back then, so I was closing like number three grippers and stuff for them. Um, doing pull ups with over a hundred pounds around my waist, stuff like that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, just pretty much anything, anything they wanted me to do. I ended up doing like a five hundred pound deadlift for four reps or something. Like they had me do like all of this stuff. Uh, and dude, I mean, I I just, I felt so awful from, from the night before, you know what I mean? But I somehow was able to do all this stuff, you know? Um, I I didn't share any of it because it's going to end up in the, in the film or some of it it will. And also because like, I I wasn't filming it. I was just like, you guys, if you want to document this, just know that I've had my eyes set on this goal, you know, for more than 10 years. You know, I wanted to. And, and, to and, and so you haven't you haven't had access to that footage. That's just stuff that no, they've done. No, no, yeah. Okay, yeah. So then yeah. that'll be kind of cool if you get to see that kind of, uh, like you said, have right. to wait a year for the documentary. Maybe I'll tell you what, you see it. Like, if those motherfuckers don't put it in that movie, they're sending me a clip of that because bullshit. Yeah. 
You'd have to. Yeah. You'd have to. Yeah. I mean, even if it doesn't right. make the final cut, like at least send me right. that footage. Like, come on. I did. Like, they had me do multiple reps of just a hundred pound dumbbell hanging here. Um, uh, just, uh, I, I think I, I, I pinched two forty fives or transferred two forty fives. I can't remember. Um, just some, you know, just some. I, I, I was reversing sixties, uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, just you know, I, I, it was. I tore some cards. Uh, tore a good sized phone book. You know, it was one of the only ones I had left, and it was kind of man. It was like one of those that you leave in the garage. And for the, mm-hmm. you know, people that don't live like where the humidity is here, you leave a phone book or cards in a garage, you know, in this sort of climate, it, it gets a little harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they get a lot harder. So, uh, but yeah, they just, I mean, man, they just, I just worked so hard for those four hours, you know, and then we went and got food and literally they wanted to come to my office and interview me. So we were in my office and they conducted, you know, interviews for it was it was morning until it got dark out that's how long we we spent so yeah. it was it was a lot but uh but yeah i mean i was able to i put a lot of pressure on myself it's like here's a documentary crew here i've been you know prepping for this lift for 10 years i'm pretty sure i can do it but who knows you know what i mean yeah and the other thing people don't realize too is that you know, people think, well, yeah, you know, you throw that dumbbell over there, you get cocky at some point. It's like, no, every time I threw a dumbbell over a preacher bench that weighed a hundred plus pounds, you know, it, you get a, you get a little nervous. The thought crosses your mind that you could tear your bicep. I mean, there yeah. are bicep tear compilations on the internet for people trying to do heavy preacher curls. So. Oh, yeah. So for me, it was like, you know, it, every time I would do something like that, I was nervous enough. I didn't need, you know, the documentary crew there to help with the nerves. But but what did, I do think the nerves helps a little bit. Um, you know, there's a there's a psychological theory. It's called Yerkes-Dotson's Law. And, and what it dictates is that there's an optimal level of excitement, anxiety, arousal for any given task. And I think, you know, I can't tell you how many mornings, you know, I'd be out there and it's like, I just don't feel like I'm waking up. And then once I put that heavy dumbbell over there, I'm like, okay, shit's getting real right now. And all of a sudden I'm alert, you know, it's like I hit an ammonia salt under my nose or something. I'm like, you know, this is about to get fucking real, you know? And, and, you know, there's a part of me that loves that feeling. And I think there's a part of me that, that that's, that's why I do it. But you know, I always, I had all these people on the internet that those be like, oh man, someday your bicep's going to tear and it's going to be in a compilation. And, you know, they're almost rooting for it. And they oh, just, yeah. I don't know, they think that I just fucking train like a stuntman or something. You know, like I just go out and like, yeah, I'm going to fucking Tom Cruise off this building. No, <laughs> it's like I gradually built up the strength to do the thing. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's there's not a, like there's a plan. Fucking, yeah, I didn't fall off a bread truck last week and decide, you know what, I'm going to curl somebody had something heavy and yeah, something tears, something tears. No, it's not that. It's like you gradually work your way up to a point where you can do something like that. Yeah. So, so basically that answers the question. No, it absolutely does. Um, because like we've kind of covered the, the big curls, the future stuff, Denny Stones, number fours, you, a lot of stuff. Now, what I was going to, I guess going to next is, is there anything that you would personally like to kind of discuss or 
maybe there's something that we got on some tangents and we left out. What uh, What's going through your okay. head? Here we go. Hand size. Okay, this could get interesting. <laughs> I know, because I heard your last one, and I was like, oh, we got to have this talk. Okay, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm open to discuss hand size, and I'm sure everybody that is either – I, I don't know. Anybody tuning in probably has their opinions. And I, and like I said, I, I'm not so dead set one way or the other for certain things. Like I said, I'm very open to this discussion. So I don't have yeah. like some like bias coming into this to where I'm going to, I don't know, battle with James and, and say stuff that isn't true or, you know, at all costs. So it's okay if you battle with me. No, it's, it won't be a I battle. I will it's, love you the same, Zach. It's, it's the just, the, just, yeah, just the, opinions here so you can let me know um all right so yeah we can discuss it think about this okay you have an event where there is like and i know andrew pankey was making these these uh i think he called them like the eliminator or the equalizer i think it was it was they were different size rolling handles that had a a little barrier here so you couldn't connect your fingers i i kind of know what you're talking about yeah and and he had said he said like if if you, you know, if you had a bigger hand and you thought you were going to get away with, you know, grabbing the one inch one and lift a lot of weight, you weren't. You had to fight find the one that fit the right hand size for you. So, so um, if you had that as a thick bar, if you had an adjustable pinch device, okay, if you had, you know, choked or block setted grippers, okay, and then maybe you take something that isn't as hand size dependent like a hub. Okay. Now it's like, I think this is the best way to find who's got the strongest hands. Right. But once you get to a point where it's like, if you're looking for pinch strength, right. And, and, and this was always my issue with the flask. Okay. If I was in a room with Cody Burns and Bob Sundin and we were on a pinch device that had good grip, they're going to outlift me every time. The texture was not the limiting thing, right? Mm-hmm. They were going to outlift me every time. Perfectly willing to admit that. I've pulled more than both of those guys on flask. And my point was that if Bob Sundin, who I've seen add weight to, you know, 255s and can pinch them, if he can take a Euro and load it up to 112, okay, which I've seen him do, okay, mm-hmm. If you're testing something like the flask and he can only pull 74 pounds and I'm pulling 20 pounds more than him at an event, come on, then that's not a test of pinch strength. But if you take an an adjustable pinch device where the texture is not the limiting factor, I think you can, you can fit that, that, that pinch device to whatever your hand size is. That's fair. It's like if, if I remember one time, and this is another great example. I was at uh, at Garage Night at Rick Rosenthal, at Nick Rosenthal's after the Arnold one year, and he had a flask, and I was kind of going head-to-head on two-hand pinch with Chris Rice, and I ended up pulling more than that. Chris Rice's mm-hmm. two-hand pinch is better than mine. Yeah. It's better than mine. He's 74, and it's probably still better than mine, right? Yeah. But, you know, I was the first person to pinch over 200 on the flask. I was, like, the first one on the, the leaderboard. To mm-hmm. do that, I know it's. I don't know what the number is now. It's probably way above that. Oh, but, uh, the current GSI record is two hundred and forty-five pounds by Joel Dirks. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, well, if, that's that's phenomenal. If you catch if you catch my drift. <laughs> oh, are we talking Nick Sanders math? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yes, okay. a little bit right. there. I digress. All right. So <laughs> you have an you have an adjustable pinch device that doesn't limit yeah. by texture or hand size. You know, yeah. and you make all of the lifts one hand lifts. All right. Now you're taking body weight and hand size out of the equation, and we're looking for the strongest hands. Now, that's if we're looking for the strongest hands. I get mm-hmm. that there are a myriad of grip devices, and I think it's kind of cool that there's all that variety. It is, as they have always said, the spice of life, yes? So you can have a variety of grip devices. That's fine. But if we are actually looking for the strongest hands, not the strongest big hands, we're going to get rid of, no offense, the Andrew's axle. We're going to get rid of the three-inch Saxon bar. You know, it's like if I can two-hand pinch all of this weight on a two-inch, two-by-five Saxon bar, okay, then you bump it up to three, and I can barely get my fingers around it on my right hand. I'm not going to pinch that much weight on that. But is that a... Is that an indictment of my ability to pinch or my lack of grip strength? I submit to you that it's not. It's just, you know, I have a smaller hand. It's like yeah, I just think that certain events are suited to different sized hands and but, stuff but if like we that. Can so mitigate we, hand size and just make it about strength, that's a pure way to test grip strength. Doesn't mean that we can't have grip events where we contest Andrew's axle and all that. But yeah. if we're looking for the strongest hands. We're not going to have some, you know, two-hand lift that, you know, a bigger guy that maybe has the same hand size but more muscle mass is going to pull more weight. It's going to be a one-handed lift with adjustable grips that fit the competitor's hand so that we can see who has the strongest hands. And I'm not saying to equalize it for me. This goes back to the conversation you and I were having earlier about, about the arm wrestling strap. You know, it's like, and and I don't know if we were recording at that time, but I had said I'd found so many advantages in pulling in the strap that I'd submitted when I was a board member with the USAF, uh, the design and had a prototype of a strap that was Velcro that threaded in the middle of the fingers and threaded in the middle of the strap. So there was no advantage to one side or the other. And I did that not because it helped me. I already figured out how to use the other strap to my advantage. I didn't want an advantage. You know, yeah. and I'm not saying I'd have the strongest hands. I would not pull what other people would pull on the hub because I could give a shit. And yeah. I would I would not squeeze grippers other people other people would scrape squeeze. But I think you could start including guys guys like Eves Gravel or a younger Bob Sundin or Eric Milfeld, you know, uh uh into you know, they'd be in sort of this the 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 this or a Darren Shalman is a great example of a guy who's 150 pounds and has hands my size that has got an unbelievable grip, is well-rounded, strong, but, you know, you put him in a thick bar event, he, he's not going to pull real well. And it, it's not because he doesn't have strong hands. It, it's because it's an implement that he can't get any real purchase on, you know? Yeah. And, and that's how I feel with that big Saxon bar. And, and, and you know, with, with anything, like a two-inch grip, I'm fine with. You know, I mean, I can pull over 200 on a on a two-inch rolling handle, and that's pretty damn decent. It's not, you know, I'm not setting the world on fire. You know what I mean? But I'll take that. That That's an yeah. indicator of my thick bar strength. 
Well, if you put me on a 2.5-inch handle, now you're going to start seeing people who would admittedly have weaker hands and wrists than me pulling more weight, you know, and pulling more weight than a Darren Shawman. Yeah, and I I think my thing is, is like, with uh with a lot of these things you're mentioning, it's like I don't necessarily disagree. It's so I, I'm not coming at it from like, oh, here's a rebuttal to what you said. Um right. I I get the points and they're valid. And uh I mean there's different things like adjustable thick bar, the Euro being adjustable, that was kind of part of you know what I mean? The Euro's deal is that it can be adjusted to different widths right. and stuff like that. So um I think that if somebody wanted to host a competition where everything was customized to a hand size. Right. I would, that would be an interesting take on it. Um, I just don't know that, like I said, and, and there's promoters that have the freedom to kind of do that. So like I would compete in that, but at the same token, it's like, if and I know, I know I'm going to sound crazy when I say that, but like, if there was like a four inch ax or a Saxon, a four inch Saxon or something, I would show up and pull on that too. I realize that's not optimal for my hand, but I don't, I don't care. It's like, like, are you fucking crazy? What's wrong? But, but no, but all I'm saying is that like, I, there's several lifts where, I mean, I I deal with it now. Like there's people that have, I don't have a giant hand, James. I mean, and you know that. No, I know. My my, 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 my hand is not much longer than yours. You and Aaron Corcoran amaze me because you're sub eight inches and you guys can, you know, I've seen you guys both do amazing feats that have blown my mind, you know. So uh, so I, I'm not necessarily, like, my, my hands, here's how I mostly would sum it up to people. My hands are, like, long enough, skinny enough, big enough, whatever, to where I can't really bitch about hand size. But it also doesn't really grant me any great advantages. Like, when you see me lifting on rolling handles... Right. I don't have the ability to hook grip them and all this other shit that some guys do. So I feel the same pain when I see somebody on a two inch handle and they could literally hook grip it and it disappears in their hand. And I'm like, Hey, there's a gap when I'm lifting it. So I, I feel the same pain, but at the same time, I just, uh, I would be open to adjustable setups or adjustable things. It's just then, how, you know, how much, uh, time setup adjusting multiple platform i don't know it doesn't matter but that unclip, would be up to the promoters yeah what's that unclip clip no 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 and, and that's fine that and that could happen like i said right, i'm not opposed right. to it um and i would compete in a competition like that but like i said right. i would also compete in ones where maybe i don't have the greatest advantage and i wouldn't yeah. necessarily feel too well, bad it's like yeah, you know, it's so, so I did the I just, uh, that year and I did the arm lifting thing. And it's like, I didn't see that as like a, an indictment of my lack of hand strength. There are, I've been at two events where I have competed on devices where there have been two different guys, uh, both with nine plus inch hands that completely yeah. blew me out of the water in, in during the meet. And then afterwards, when we arm wrestled, you know, and one of them I have on video, and I'm not going to throw this guy under the bus, but when he went to pull against my hand, he was like, oh, my God, it doesn't budge. Your hand and wrist don't move. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I mean, his would just fold right over. And it's not, again, it's like for what he does, he's fucking unbelievable. But if we're yeah. trying to measure hand strength, you're not going to tell me he had stronger hands than me. 
You know, because yeah. when we were hand to hand, it's like, you know, it, he was in a vice and he knew it. But he outlifted me on one of the thick bar things by more than 30 pounds. You know what I mean? And yeah. and, and and I think so, that would just be an example of that wouldn't be optimal for your hand. And like you said, that's not necessarily. I still a, go and I compete. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and I still have a good time. I'm just saying if from a purist standpoint, if we're looking for the strongest yeah. hands, Let's look for the strongest hands and not the strongest big hands. No, and I, like I said, I I get the point. So I'm not I'm not like trying to fight it at all. It's just that I think that that would be something that the people that host or promote should start trying to implement, or that should be something that they should kind of start doing. And with that with that same token, it's like there are other people that maybe the two and three eights is optimal for them. And that's like, when you say, when you get into a certain range or when you get into a certain grip, it's a vice, maybe two yes. and three eights is someone else's vice. So it's like, who am I to tell them that they can't lift on that? And then I make them lift on something smaller that you don't have to tell them. I'll tell them. Okay. Well, but, <laughs> but, but all, all I'm saying is this, there's just, there's well, so much adjustable. They can choose that with, and I can choose another, another way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, look, no, I, like I said, I get that, and I just, I think it could be I, implemented. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm not opposed to implementing that. Or, like I said, if it was a, if it was a hand size thing, I, I guess here's how I'll sum it up for me. Like, I'm open to that competition setup with everything being yeah. adjustable. I would compete in that. I think I would do okay in it. And would it maybe rid me of having some eight and nine inch hand guys beating me that probably couldn't? Yes. Like, like, like what, what I'm saying is like, like right now, if I had nine inch hands for like inch bell lifting, I would lift some serious inch bells. Yeah, of course. I, 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 I'm, if I, don't, I had I nine can't. inch hands, they yeah. wouldn't leave my underwear. But yeah, I get you. <laughs> no. But, but so. So yeah, I have I have two events that I'm going to put on at some point. Okay, okay. are you One thinking of, of implementing is, something like that with adjust yes. all adjustable stuff? Okay, it's, yeah, and I'm going to call it strongest hands in the whole fucking galaxy. That's going to okay. be the name. It'll fit on a shirt, I promise. Okay, you know, and you'll get the you'll get, and it's going to be that. Now the other one is your mom. Hear me out before you get upset and I, want to fight. I, I, no, I already know. I, I think I already know what this one is. You know about your mom. Well, you. I think you guys pitched the idea before one time when I was right. uh, around. So I've, and I've this is the beauty bit. of it. I can go up to like very large, angry looking people and I can say, have you heard about your mom? And they can look at me like they want to kill me. And then I can say, you're a mother of medleys, you know? So it's yeah. going to be the mother of all medleys. And I'm going to call it your mom. And it's going to have, it's going to feature elements of strength in every conceivable way. Okay. It's going to be like one of our old school AGP medleys, only it's going to be bigger and badder. And it, you know, there's going to be nowhere to hide. Like it's just going to be fucking amazing. And okay. This is where we're going to tie a few things in. All right. Okay. Not big on the whole psychoanalyst, though I am kind of a Carl Jung fan. However, Freud on the shirt, okay? This is a concept. Bear with me. He's leaning in, and he's looking at you all judgmentally, okay? Pointing a finger at you, and then there's one of those little word bubbles, you know, like you used to see in the comics. 
And it says, your mom. <laughs> no, it, and then at the bottom, you, mother of medleys. Then on the back of the shirt, okay, this is when we really start getting fucking artistic. On the back of the shirt, a checklist, okay? And on the checklist, every single one of the feats of strength. And it starts at the neck, and it goes, depending on how long the shirt is, it either yeah. goes down to the middle of your back or it goes all the way down your ass. Like, just yeah. a list of every single feat in the event. And at the end of it, we check off everything that you, you accomplished in the event, and you have that shirt in memoriam, time in memoriam, to remind you of the time that you conquered your mom. Come on, I think it's, uh, it's I, I'm a fan of medleys anyway because I, I I like being well rounded. Um, well, I got news for you. Yeah. This is your guy. So I, I I'd be down to compete in that. And no, this is your girl. This is your girl. And, and that kind of. Uh, and that kind of, like I said, I don't want to like go too crazy on the hand size thing. Um, with, with that being said, you, you get what I mean, but like, we will control for hand size with the your mom event too, by the way. Well, but like what you were saying was like, you know, if it's the strongest hand than doing one, there are certain guys that have a really strong dominant hand and then their other hand is weak as piss. So yeah. sometimes I kind of like contesting both or seeing, you know, okay, you know, right. So. I'm not opposed to two-handed lifts or testing both hands and yeah. adding them together for a total, stuff like that. Or, or um, like me, my my left is better with pinch, but my right is better with thick bar. Yeah. You know, like no, that. Absolutely. I mean, so, yeah. So I, I think having a level of balance also would be cool for those kind of competitions as well, as opposed to like yeah. always being a single hand. Well, if we're going to do single hand, maybe measure both hands. That way somebody doesn't get away with having one side of their one hand that's like, phenomenal and the other hand is average because there are some guys like that out there um so like i said that's just like small stuff and really when i discuss hand size my only critique it's not i never critique adjustable devices it's the, the most of the time when i critique somebody is or i critique the hand size debate is when somebody instantly thinks that because we make it a hand size competition that they're now just going to instantly have elite level strength and be the best. And it's going to like boost them up in the world. So, yeah. so does that make sense? Yeah, I do. But this isn't about me. I'm no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying you, I'm talking about there's other right. people. There's other people I talk to. I'm a, everything and, that I've done though, you know, when it's come like, like even with arm wrestling as a promoter, when I did promotions, when I did, everything was about trying to create as level a playing field as possible. Because, you know, I really do want, it's like, look, you know, anyone with any sense that has any, you know, life experience, any real life experience understands that, yeah, maybe you never achieve a perfect meritocracy in anything. But that's not the goal. It's the city on the hill. It's the thing that you strive to create, that you try to move towards, you know. So so for me, it's always been about a level playing field, you know. And, and, And it's like if we can find a way to 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 mitigate hand size in any way, you know, so that we do try to find these strongest hands, then I think there should at least be a couple of major events that do that. And I'm not saying do away yeah. with the Andrews. Look, I was I went to Legends, had a great time at Legends, you know, uh uh 
of, of course, you know, catching up with people, all that other stuff. I thought it was a great event, you know, but if you look at the medley, it was like thick bar, thick handled dumbbells. It was, it was, um, you know, blobs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think that that's great. I think that there should be events like that. I'm just also saying that like, you yeah. can call it legends or call it whatever, but if you're looking for the world's strongest hands, or in my case, the strongest hands in the fucking galaxy, that's a sweet name. Well, and you know, this, but if you're looking for that, you want to find the strongest yeah. hand. And, and, and the only thing that I would, uh, that I guess I would kind of fear for that, right? Is is let's let's say that it is adjustable and the person can choose, right? Well. What if like, okay, let's say yours is, let's say your optimal range and I'm making this up, but let's just say for a rolling handle, your optimal range that James thinks he can pull the best number on is, you know, one and three quarter inch. So just under two inches. And you feel like that would be a strong grip. I've been pulling on one and three quarters inches since I'm 15. Okay. <laughs> so, and uh-huh. yes, that is a euphemism. And yes, it is a masturbation joke. Go ahead. <laughs> so if, Let's just say that was the handle size you chose for your competition, right? right? Now, if the goal is to find the best, what is what is to stop the guy with giant hands who's going to outlift you on that? Like, let's say Carl decides, like, well, one point seven five is my optimal range. Like, who's to but determine again, what's if optimal? You're using that equalizer grip, that well, yeah, you'd, you'd have to almost put something in place. There'd have to be yeah, a measure. Well, that's what you have. That's what he okay, had. He yeah, was yeah. making crushers that had something in place, like a like a like a a little like I don't like know, a bar. not a panel, you know, it was like a bar like, or a, yeah, yeah. And you you couldn't reach past a certain point on it. Yeah. And I mean, for I don't know what happened with FBBC and Selene. Obviously, you have your own experience with that. Yeah, uh, I saw Andrew at uh, Arnold's this year. He was with uh, Darren Shalman. It was cool to catch up with him. But uh, he's been so busy with other stuff in his life and his move. But, but I mean, FBBC was starting to produce those, and, and I thought that that would be ideal. And look, maybe be, I'm the guy that has to put on the event. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just the guy no, that has and, to put on yeah. the event. And, and, but, like, I think it's important that and, you know that, like, you would be willing to put on the event. But then it, at the same time, you're also saying that you're not trying to stop all the other events. So you're not no. saying, like, well, this is the only contest or this is the only way. Right. Um, and, this doesn't apply to you and I yeah, because of what we got going on. But whatever blows your hair back, you know, like do what you like. I'm this a libertarian guy. This is by choice. Well, this fucking isn't by choice. <laughs> all right. And it hasn't been by choice since I'm 16. All right. <laughs> do you have any idea what I've been through? Do you have any clue? My hairline was running from my face at 16 years old. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, I think, uh, I think the big thing with, the, 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 I guess my last point with it, like I said, I'm not opposed to equalizer stuff. I'm not opposed to it being measured out. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for really any format. I don't care if it's, I know, which is cool. If it puts me at a bad disadvantage, I'm still going to show up and I'll just know the reason yeah. that you lifted more is because X, Y, Z, whatever. But um, I think yeah, and it's not that I'm doing that. It's not like, yeah. you know, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking or, yeah. You know, sweet lemon sour grapes bullshit. It's not that. I mean, look, like I, I said earlier, man, I mean, 27 years of competing, I got to be honest with you, it's mostly out of my system. 
Yeah. I had goals, my own personal goals, that had nothing to do with competing against other people. Zero. You know, if somebody could say, well, you know, what was it Chloe Brennan or something? She was 140 pounds and she lifted the Denny Stones. Okay, cool. That's awesome for her. You know, I'm old and I have it and I'm going to try to do it. And yeah. the fact that somebody who has a vagina and weighs half of what I weigh did it, you know, fantastic. You know, that's it's amazing. <laughs> I'm super happy for her. I was actually there when she did it at the Arnold's. So, yeah. like, thumbs up. It has nothing to do with my journey or what I'm doing. You know, and it's like, so I'm not, I don't have any fantasies about going and, and win the newly modeled King Kong because they decided to put sledge choke and, and fucking lever top in it, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah, would I go and have a pretty fucking good day if they did that? Yes, I would. It'd be yeah. fantastic. But I don't care. Like, it doesn't, you know, unless it's at your house, I probably wouldn't go. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, and, and usually... You tell me I got to drive all the way up to Pennsylvania for this or Kentucky or... No, but if it's... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, so for... I don't really... Titles don't do it for me, I guess. Yeah, and I guess for me, if if I could just place like where I aim, like the like my scope when I talk about the yeah. hand size stuff is it's not directed at people that have your viewpoint on it. It's more directed at let's just say there's there's groups of people that are completely fine with the implements being contested. So they're not talking about changing what diameters or right. equalizing it, right? They're, they're, there's there's groups of people that are saying, yeah, I'm groups fine. of huge-handed people with no empathy. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about like smaller hand people. Ready? I know, I'm coming. Check yeah. it out. Yeah. So there's groups of people that have like, okay, I would like to lift on these same implements, you know, the same implements that are kind of, I, I guess, have steadily been contested for the last however many years. So they're okay with the implements. So they're not talking to like what you're saying about like adjusting the implements or adjusting them to the person. What they think is, is that if I still lift on that three inch Saxon bar, but we do it by hand size classes, I'm going to be better. And I think that's a lie to themselves. Right. I see what you're saying. So so that, that is my biggest heart because it's like, okay, if you have sub seven hands, guess what? You get to go against Eve Gravel. Okay, you have 7.5-inch hands. You think that's going to put you in first place in the world? You get to go against Joe Hodgson. Have fun with that. James like, Rodriguez. Yeah, you get what I'm saying, though. It's like you got 8-inch hands. Right. Have have fun pulling against Ben Helms. Okay, you got 8-plus. Right. Eight, eight go lift with Carl and Jed. Joe Hodgson's only 7.5. Really? He's only 7.5-inch hands? Yeah, Joe, Joe's hands are smaller than mine. And Joe – no. Joe's lifted 120 uh, legacy. He's damn near. He's close to lifting Blobzilla, and Joe's lifted some fucking heavy bells. So, Kenahura, well, um, Joe Hodgson, but for uh, you, buddy. But but that was kind of my thing, James. Is like there's these people, and that and that's so it might seem like I kind of bash the hand size thing. It's not what you're speaking of. What I'm bashing more is these people that think that like, well, damn, I got eighth place right now in this event, but if right. we did it by hand size, I would be <laughs> first. Yeah, and I it's know like what it's like it's I, yeah. like no, you're you're not instantly right. going to be like one of the elite guys, right? You know, if we just change it by hand size, you don't instantly go right. from being like average to now you're elite because we changed the classes. So yeah. that's that's my take. So like I said, I don't have any issues with the tournament formats you're discussing. There's right. just a delusion with some people that they think that like, well, if I lifted against you know people with my hand size, 
well, of course, there's no way I could be average. I would always be well, strong. And it's like, you know, no, because it doesn't be similar. I figured this out when I arm wrestled. You know, you you always had those guys who were outliers who could go up, oh, yeah. up to yeah. two weight classes and still compete with top 10 guys. You know, I mean, you, you always had those guys. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's, there's, look, and this is why I was always a big fan of level playing fields and, the, you know, having – you know, the best come out. I hated when like there were rival organizations that would, you know, put their major events up against each other in arm wrestling because, you know, the dream is always, you know, under the auspices of, of, you know, a, a set of rules by a considerate majority. Okay. The, the, the most level playing field possible, the best people are there. See what you can do. Yeah. That to me was always the optimal thing. That's always what I wanted. It wasn't about like, oh my God, I need to dominate these people because then like my self-confidence will finally go up from its fucking basement level. No, it wasn't yeah. that ever. It was, it was like all of this, you know, being, if, if you're trying to be excellent so that you compare favorably to other people, you're insecure. You know, being great at something should be about being a better version of yourself. It should be a, yeah. you know, the, the best possible version of yourself. You know, it, it's it's living to your potential kind of thing. And and to me, it's always been that. It's like, you know, I, I loved those events where it was like, you know, you had the top three or four guys in your weight class there or a huge field of people. Or I'd love to go, I'd love to look at a tournament and rather than thinking about who was in my weight class, thinking about, what if I can win multiple weight classes or every weight class above my weight? Or if I, you know, there's a really good guy in the supers who's a top 10 super heavyweight. Let me watch him because I have a feeling I might get a crack at him at the old, in the overall. And, you know, I really think that I, if, you know, in short, like he's got a bigger hand, a taller forearm outweighs me by 150 pounds, whatever. I, I don't really care about controlling for genetics, you know, that much. It, it, it's more like, how do we, in the purest form possible, measure the best? And 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 it's like, I do think that it, it we should take time to consider these things and not just say, you know, I, I don't know, uh, this year we're going to have the blob trainer lift, um, world's heaviest walnut from the floor. Like, I, it's like, fuck. You know, we should have a set of maybe four standard lifts that are not hand size dependent that can measure the strongest at least at one or two events a year. And then if you want to find out who the freak show is that has the biggest, strongest hands have at it, you're basically creating world's strongest man for grip. Congratulations. You know, it's it's like, go for it. But I'd like to just see if we could create a format where we could find the strongest hands, because I do think, you know, and I don't just think in like I think guys like Aaron Corcoran, who who might you know get checked off because of certain things, and their prime would absolutely have been at the top, if not the very you know right at the very top, yeah. uh, uh, because of that. Because Aaron's hands are are sub eight inches, and I, I still say he's. You have to realize all the strength athletes I've met over the years. You know, I mean. I went to his house in Tucson in, I think, 2015, and we had a little training session in, and he did some shit that just blew my mind. 
And he was yeah. showing me some of the, the old bends that he did. And you got to realize this is before the gold nail. And he had bent heavier stock than gold, than the golds, mm-hmm. you know, like just, you know, and he did it in single imps, you know, I mean, like just unbelievably explosive strength athlete that if you controlled for hand size at certain points in his career and grip, probably would have been considered the strongest hands. But, yeah, but I think, I've always I think he would said be right it. up there. Huh? Yeah. I think he would be yeah. right up there. Yeah. I mean, but if you're looking, if he was interested, and I do mean this, and this isn't a knock on Carl, but if he was just interested and decided to show up because of what I've seen in person with my own two eyes, Rich Williams would have the biggest, strongest hands. And that is going to set some people into a fucking tizzy if they hear that. And yeah, I mean, but that's, but that's just... My ass. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Hell, Richard Soren said the same damn thing. And and if I'm not credible enough, no way you can question the credibility of a Richard Soren, you know? Yeah, and, and that's the thing that, like, with a, a subject like that, is that it's not to... It's not to piss anybody off, and if they if people take it that way or get offended, yeah, but they do. It's, it, people like, do. It, they can't it's control like you're it. And they, their mother, and well, I, you yeah. Know. And again, I, I am putting on an event called your mom, but that's not you know. Yeah, referring no, to I, I got so you. No one's insulting your mother by saying, "Hey, actually, this guy was fucking unbelievable," you know. And when he was dedicated to it, you know, he won three consecutive. Uh, uh, Arnold Classic uh, Mighty Mitts events and I mean won them easily and dominated every event so you can't tell me just because he walked away after his third and he was doing other stuff and you know life happens that somehow he's just not in the equation and you know uh, uh, he's a a Sasquatch and all these other things that I heard about him yeah well the thing is too is that it's like I with what you said, where like you have an opinion about something and you stated your opinion and that might send people in a frenzy. That's, that's just discussion. That's just life. Um, there might be somebody else that thinks that Carl would stomp him, you know? So, and then people freak out about that. It's like, you get what I mean? It's like, that's the yep. point of what we're doing. What we're doing and, and, is and we're, what, at this we're having point, discussions. Carl would stomp him on grippers. He would. Carl would stomp any human being that ever lived on grippers at this point. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's closing grippers that were, you know, basically things that really good steel benders were using to chest crush for <laughs> double overhand ending. Yeah. Let's be honest. Like that's no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so he's going to beat everybody on, on, on grippers. You know what I mean? But, but, but I don't, that's also, I think, you know, Rich Williams is one of those guys that closed the 3.5 first time he tried it and just was like, well, well whatever. You know, never really got into grippers. If he did get into grippers and he trained it, you know, if he put the and he's a smart, he's smart at programming. And you have to be to be that big and that strong, drug free. You have to be smart. You have to be good at programming. Yeah. You know, I, I think like the biggest thing, James, is like with these opinions and stuff, is that like I don't take anything like personal because I've I've had people that like I bring up something on the show and I'm I'm discussing hand size or I discuss new people rubbing chalk on something and messing up the texture. And then I get people like you said that they kind of get in a frenzy and then, well, I think you're wrong and I disagree and this and that. And it's like, we are just having a discussion. If James, if James says he thinks that Rich Williams can outlift Carl on the axle, if you, you don't have to like freak out about it. it. This is just adult discussion. And we're talking about grip strength and, 
Everybody is. Yes. You know who I, can't I would... outlift Carl on the axle? Me. <laughs> his his axle PR is right around where my deadlift PR is. So you know, I mean, <laughs> so, I'm okay with saying that. That's fine. No, I'm I, okay with that. My biggest thing is that I don't want people when they like like you said that's going to send someone in a frenzy. I like that you're saying stuff like that because if that's what you truly believe, I want real discussions. So right. these kind of, but these kind of real discussions, if the people fly off the handle or they argue, okay, now I don't care. Dude, you know, the it, way the internet is, look, social well, yeah. media fucked up arm wrestling. It's I'm fucked talking up about the everything. good guys though, James. I'm talking about the good huh? guys, like the people that are in the sport that know. I'm talking about like oh. mind, mindful discussion. I don't care about trolls, but I'm saying like you having a yeah. point like that, I want the educated people to like, yeah, uh, c- kind of chime in, or or I'm not I'm not saying stir the pot in a negative way. I don't mean stir right. the pot negatively, but I mean and I'm like, not closed minded about it either. It's yeah. like, look, I always say this: you have to have enough humility. Like, look, you have to be able to do good self inventory because when you do good self inventory, people's you know negative criticism that's designed to destroy you doesn't fucking mean anything to you because yeah. they don't know anything about you. They don't know you nearly as well as you honestly know yourself, but. You have to have a little room. There's got to be a little bit of humility so that your your mind is open enough so that you can consider information that you haven't received before. Yeah. So, so of course, I have an open mind about it, but I've given it a lot of thought, and this is the opinion I've formulated. And if yeah. it's like, my God, what is your life like if that fucking sends you into a tizzy? You know? Yeah. I mean, what what is missing from your life if that bothers you? You know, I would submit to you that a lot is missing from your life if that bothers you. No, absolutely. And uh, my biggest thing is, is that I like you bringing something like that up on the show because I feel like for, let's say, let's say the people that are in the know or that are knowledgeable about grip, and we're not talking about the people that are easily upset or trolling online, um, it, it brings things to light that don't often get spoke about publicly. Or right. like now there's this platform where maybe we're doing a show that, you know, things yeah. are now getting brought up and discussed about that right. maybe haven't been discussed about to this magnitude in a while. So And, and it's, it's I, good. It's good to get dialogue going. And this yes. is one of the things. And this is exactly. why I say, like, you know, in the early days of, of you know, I'd say just about 2003, 04, uh, the early days of, say, social media, Internet, message board, stuff like that. You had one unbelievably toxic message board. It was the American Armed Sport Associations where you could go on anonymously and just say whatever the fuck you wanted. And you had a bunch of fucking cowardly trolls who would do that shit, you know? And then you had the Northeast board where it was like, no, you, you need to put your name by what you say, you know? And let me tell you something. That board for a while was really good for the sport because arm wrestlers before, and this is the issue with conflict. It's like when I work with conflict resolution, I always tell people if it's, if it's an organizational psych thing, uh, I was doing work with a police department. If it's a couple, if it's a family, don't confront people in front of other people. They're, they're going to undergo this, 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 this injury to their pride, this moral injury where they need to react because they think you're grandstanding. The best thing to do is to confront them away from other people, one-on-one, and with the right intentions. You know what I mean? And I think 
With the internet, it's just, oh, let me come out with my one-liner. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's going to tear this guy down. And, and you know, the currency of social media works like that. It's like, oh, yeah. I proved that I could one-up this guy. And, you know, now everybody can look at me and worship me. And this raises my status. It's like, yeah. it's it's such bullshit. It's like, so so I always tell people, it's like, you want to confront somebody and you want to do it in a way that's well-meaning, you know, don't, don't anonymously post, you know, something to attack the person or whatever like that, you know, cause that's bullshit. Cause you're not even talking about whatever the central point is. Usually have enough guts to send them a private message and say, Hey, look, I'd like to talk to you on the phone about this or something like that. At least do yeah. that. I mean, the, the internet in general is just kind of like fantasy land when it comes to comments and what people are yeah, doing. Um, it's kind of dangerous in the sense that like, oh, no, it look, definitely is. <laughs> if you're, if you're deluding yourself and I see kids like this all the time, I say kids and I, some of them are over 30 that like, they don't really leave their house. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they become so delusional oh, yeah. because they become so siloed that all of their communication is passive aggressive. It's all anonymously on the internet. You know what I mean? And it's like, this is gonna. This is not a very good endorsement for my business. But people like that are fucking losers. No, I I would agree. I mean, trust me, I've I've ran into. Uh, I don't know if I want to go down the rabbit hole of trying to name specific situations, but yeah, yeah there's people that live their life online, yeah. and then when you stand in the same room with them, real life 3D, it's That's a lot what I different. Loved about arm wrestling, I it's a lot different. Loved it. Somebody so, could talk some kind yeah. of shit and then I could show up at a tournament and it's like, yeah. well, nothing left to do now. Nothing yeah, we can talk it, about. I yeah, guess it's time to prove that stuff. And the pressure and, would all be on them. I'd just be like, okay, you know, yeah. all, all the typing, <laughs> all this isn't getting your hands strong enough. Yeah. yeah and, and I've ran into that situation with a lot of other things where people have, you know, uh, I don't know. We could name a hundred examples. And like I said, I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but yeah, I've had people that they have some opinion based on a video online. Like yeah. I'll, I'll do a generic one. Maybe right. they saw a video of you hitting pads. So you're doing pad work, right? Like I'm talking, I'm doing some boxing training or I'm doing some fucking kickboxing or something. And they see some video of it and they think like, Oh yeah. I mean, I guess he looks all right. Whatever. Right. You run into the gym, it's like leg kicked them. You break their femur. But it's like, dude, it's it's like you viewing shit on the internet. It, it, I don't know. I mean, fucking. I know I'm going off on a tangent with this one now, James. But it's like oh, watch major. But but watch major league baseball, right? right. Turning the double plays easy. Like yeah. you get what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying is like right. when the best when the best people at what they do do something, yeah. and you just yeah. watch it online. It's always yeah. fucking easy. So like. If you watch me do whatever I do at a high level, yeah. of course it doesn't mean shit to you when you just sit there and comment, but standing in the always, same room in front of dude, people is much different. Right. Because what it is, is it's the it's the equivalent of like, you know, the 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 prank phone call in the eighties. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's some 15, 16 year old that can't do a fucking thing is probably except, afraid of except, their own except shadow. now it's like 30 and 40 year olds <laughs> right well i i mean in terms of maturity and this is coming I, yeah, from I, me 
I got you. I'm not exactly a picture of, uh, of m- maturity over here. I'm not a Rudyard Kipling. You know what I mean? But with all that being said, you know, yeah. it's like they're at the maturity level of a 15-year-old all the time. I mean, look, my inner child is alive and well. If I haven't proven anything, it's that, right? But but they're that way. They're like stuck there. They're in this 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 sort of retarded place of, of development. And I yeah. do mean that in the clinical sense. No, I in the figurative sense. I do mean it as a pejorative joke too. But but you know, it's like they're doing that, you know, and, and it's like they, they don't do anything with their lives at all. And it, it's it's just like I just don't see a reason why, you know, other than the, the, the observer factor, the fact that there are other people looking on that, you know, we can't have conversations where we just go to the central points of these things rather than ad hominem attacks and shit, you know? Yeah. That's like I said, with what you were bringing up about the Axel stuff. Yeah. I was, I, I was saying it was good in the sense that if it, if it starts to stir up discussion about strength and like, this is positive stuff. This is stuff that like all of us people that kind of have gravitated to this realm of strength or this grip sport and everything else or whatever the case may be. I mean, this is stuff that we all kind of would debate or talk about. So to put it out publicly and get people discussing it, I think it's a hundred percent positive. So yeah. anybody like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's somebody that thinks so-and-so has a stronger pinch lift than this guy. If they voice that publicly, I'm all for it because I, let's find out. Or maybe in this right. case, we will, maybe in that case, we'll never find out. And that's what's right. bad about that example is that maybe we can't ever make that happen. So it's, right. it's kind of a, it's kind of a what if, but it's still, it still drives good discussion. And I think it still gets people's brains turning in a, in a positive way. So right. that's why I think, I think it's good and it's kind of meaningful um, yeah. for, yeah. for what that's worth. So no, I, I, I think it's awesome that you bring up stuff like that or that you have used your experience to take a certain stance and you voice that stance. And it's like, Always. well, you know, yeah. but it's like, who's to say what's right or wrong or what would happen. Yeah. We all would love to find out. And I think we all would love to have little debates about what we think about certain lifts or certain people. So I think it's like any other sport, right? You argue over which team beats this team, which person that's just competitive nature. And uh, I don't know. I I would like to see a little more of that, a little bit more of that life in the community instead of everybody. I'm not saying that we can't all like be friends and get along because everybody is typically pretty cool, but there's a little bit of room for, you know, Hey, I think so-and-so stronger than him, or I think so-and-so isn't right. or sort of the debate sort of thing. And yeah. it always, it helped like when, when Pete Milano, yeah. uh, so Pete Milano, myself, and, and I don't know if you know who Christian Binney is, but no. Christian Binney, I mean, tell you what, when we get off, look up Christian Binney, you know, and you're going to be like, Oh my God, that guy's a monster, you know, but, but we all used to train together up North and, and uh, we started a organization, Northeastern Arm Wrestling Association. And it was like, there wasn't anybody doing super matches at the time. It was like, mm-hmm. you just you, yep. you went to the tournament, you ran the weight classes through, and then at the end, everybody got their trophy. Maybe you had an overall and then trophies, right? What we did was we had right-handed super matches, right-handed class, left-handed super matches, left-handed class, and then we would have a main event super match at the end and because of the timing 
of us starting that in 2005 and, and that back being when the Northeast message board was actually a good thing before it got mm-hmm. turned over to trolls and fucking idiots. You know, it was like, it was really good because you could put polls up and it would fuel discussions and it, it you know, very rarely did it devolve to a, you know, I'm going to kick your ass kind of thing. It was more yeah. of a, you know, yeah, so-and-so strong inside, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, this other guy might have a little bit more pronation or has a better post move or it becomes more about the, the uh, or, you know, it, something it, like that. Yeah. It becomes more about the analysis yeah, and like you're, you're, you're actually yeah. talking tactics and it, it's actually good talk. And you, James, man, you got me going on another one now because I have another subject that just popped up. This is something I've been discussing with people for a while now. And I haven't ever, I mean, I haven't publicly said it on the show or anything like this yet. So this will be the first time I mention it. You just talked about, you know, okay, there's typically this class setup or same thing for grip, right? There's a class type setup. What I want to see in the future is I want grip super matches. Yeah. Well, you know, Jay, I want, Jay yeah. was talking about doing something like that with Chad Woodall. Yes, I remember point. that on This Week in Grip when yeah, you guys talked yeah. about it. And, and, and I thought I, that would have been great. I, I think that is a great idea. Me and yeah. Ben Helms have done a few just like screwing around where like it's like a it's a buddy just challenging another buddy like, hey, let's yeah, see who like, can do this the most, yeah. whatever. And we just right. go to town. But it's like if you were to actually maybe structure kind of like a super fight, like an arm wrestling card or like an MMA card would be, like one-on-one matchups or super fights, I think it would be cool if guys went head to head on one event or if guys had like a three event lineup and they had to go back and forth on those three events. And it was like a super match between the biggest names and it wasn't about weight class or anybody else around. And it was just like, almost like a pay-per-view card that had a lineup similar to arm wrestling or fighting. I would like to see grip super matches. It's just a matter of setting them up, promoting them right. And people can negotiate what events or what they want to do, or that could be between the competitors themselves. But I would love to get two people in front of each other. Even like when they do, uh, I know it's a group thing, but like world's strongest man, how they'll have like two people lifting at the same time. So it's kind of, it's kind of head to head. I like that too. Yeah. I I think that would be awesome for grip. If it was like, just like here, here, here's the inch dumbbell, pick it up and then just keep going until someone can't pick it up. And right. put two, or or a heavier dumbbell if it's guys that that's too yeah. easy for you. But that's you get beautiful. what I'm saying. Yeah. I would love to see something where there's a one-on-one matchup, and it's like some of the heavy hitters, or even if they're lighter weight guys, they're people that are like world class. I I would just love to see that competitive aspect one-on-one, and not always in a weight class format. So that would be one thing yeah. that you just mentioned. Well, yeah, I mean, it was arm like wrestling. Like- it, it, yeah. Like with the arm wrestling thing, there was such a buzz around those events. Like we yeah. we 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 would do them in in uh, Norwalk in, in Connecticut, and in the city there, they had to like at this one place, they had these these huge windows, floor to ceiling, that would open up, and people would gather around the sidewalks on the sidewalk, looking in, and then we had everybody out there, and I'd be up in the DJ booth announcing this thing, and there was just such it, it was such it was like a Man, some of those some of those matches, it was like a bomb went off. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like just an explosion of energy. And yeah. you just didn't see that at arm wrestling tournaments. And it wasn't negative energy. It wasn't like two oh, fucking yeah. idiots showing their personality, whatever that is, screaming at each other and acting <laughs> like a fucking shlemiel. 
No. Yeah. You know, it was just like, I, it was just a, I got it. We can do it in conjunction with your mom and we can call it the bomb before your mom. <laughs> you, you, you can set that I'm up. I'm spitballing here, Zach. But no, come it's on, fine. Man. It's fine. It's fine. But co-promoter real, real fast. Okay. Just, just to put you on the spot. Are you ready to be put on the spot? What do I got to hide? Okay. Well, let's just say there was a super match in the format that I just brought up. What would be a hypothetical super match, whether it be event, two people going one-on-one, what is a super match that you would enjoy seeing in grip? I'll tell you what, and, and this is, this is not, you know, a knock against other people at that size or weight. I would love to see a pinch off between Luke Raymond and Cody Burns. That's a cool matchup. Yeah. Even, I mean, like, I know Cody's not as active right now or whatever the case, but. I, yeah, but let me tell you something, dude. When he Cody's was. Cody's a strong pincher. I seen that motherfucker do shit I couldn't believe. Like, yeah. just unbelievable one-hand pinch. Two-hand, too, but but his yeah. one-hand pinch was just. Yeah. It was like a good 10 pounds above any other human being I ever met, so. Yeah, the, 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 the that's awesome. So, like. If we had Luke Raymond versus Cody Burns and like a little Look what Luke does with the 55s now, you know, yeah, like, like a one I, don't, pitch. I don't know how Luke is, if he's active, but, but when he yeah. was doing, like, he looked like he could just do them at will. And, yeah. and the first guy to really pinch and hold those 55s, if you were ever saw the video of, of Cody doing it at uh, Chris Rice's one year. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just picked him up and held him for like 37 seconds, which is just otherworldly fucking one hand pinch. Yeah. Now I know I know I know Jed's gonna freak out about that comment and he's gonna say that there was body contact <laughs> and say that they were braced. So I don't oh, know. Jed, Jed. <laughs> I'm gonna start yelling at Jed on the show. No, look, you could say there's body contact, but he was the only one that day to pull him off the ground. He pulled him off the ground easily. He did it the first time, and everybody else there was trying, and they tried multiple times. Yeah. And he just never tried it before, walked over, pinched them, and held them. Yeah. Body contact or not, okay, <laughs> you, you have to have a dickload of fucking pinch strength to be able to do that. No, absolutely. I just was saying, like, as far as the 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 time limit placed on it, I, I already know that Jed's going to be like, ah, he had body contact and <laughs> something. So I, I had to should bring we, it up. Should we fuck with Jed? Okay. You can <laughs> if you want. No, 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 no. I just, but, I don't know. The but, ball yeah. buster is coming out of me. I can't but no, that, that, that's good. That's funny. Um, but no, Luke, Luke and Cody would be cool. I um, mean, and, and, and I hate to like yeah. just drag it on and do hypothetical matchups, but these are the kind of super matches that I would love to see. And I'd love to see people put them together at some point. Um, who's yours? Who would Reversing I want to spotlight see? back on you? Man. Um, hmm. What would I like to see? I don't know if I should, if I should just pick a random event or a random thing and just say, you know, go for it or whatever, or associate those, uh, go for it. Do you think? Yeah. Or I don't know if like, maybe I should just get like an implement and then say, who would I want to see on that implement? Okay. Um, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You know, because because I could start with the implement and then say, well, who's the best at that that I would like to see? Or I could just kind of just, you know, shuffle random names. Um, 
man, it, this is really tough. And like I said, I don't want to go dead air on people and just be staring off and doing nothing here. Um, You're doing a good job with the dead air right now, Zach. I know, right? Yeah, you, you got yeah, me. Yeah, four I, or five I, seconds there. That, it know, was easy. It was, it was easy to throw it at you, but I didn't expect it to come <laughs> back now. Okay, I have plenty of matchups I'd like to see. I got to um, think on my feet, Zach. That's my job, you know? Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> – I'm wearing I'm wearing down. You're wearing me down here. You're beating me. I'm up. sorry, man. We've been at this for a while. Holy shit! No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. That's why I don't want to go crazy with everything. But I, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll give you a matchup. I'll give you a matchup, and we can maybe wrap up or whatever. All right. Um, my wife is going to think I was kidnapped. She's going to be like, "I thought you were going to the office to do a podcast." <laughs> yeah, I did. It was you know a four hour podcast. There's going to be people on, uh, on on YouTube using toothpicks to pry open their eyes just to watch it. Well, it's all it's all good. People are going to people are going to yell at me like, "Man, three hours is too long." It's like, well, watch ten minutes of it a day. I don't know but what to this tell is, you. This will be the end of part two. You can just split it up in two parts or something. Yeah, it's all or good. you can cut uh, out a lot of my chicanery. No, 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 it's it, it's staying in. Um, so all if I could chicanery? pick, what about if, the tomfoolery? All of it. Um, so, if I could pick a matchup, um, ah man, it's it, it, this is tough. You know what i I would like to see. Here's what I'll say. Okay, this is what this is what this is what I would like to see. Okay, right. injured, maybe slightly inactive. That's fine. Okay. I would like to see Tanner Merkel. Yes. Versus the like world. No, nah, I would like to see Tanner Merkel. And I would like to see him versus Ben Helms. And I would like to see them in an event lineup that maybe we – not not one event. I don't want them to just do one event. I want it to be a little broader. So I would want Tanner Merkel to go against Ben Helms. And why I say this is because there are certain grip things that Tanner is just like a rolling handle. Tanner would kill Ben right now. But Ben has more body strength than Tanner. That's not up for debate. Right. So, right. so like you said, are we finding the strongest hands? Are we finding the strongest body? If we create a format where there's possibly a chance to test a little bit of both, mm-hmm. a little bit of grip, a little bit of body, I think Tanner has overall a stronger grip than Ben but I think Ben's body is strong and his grip isn't bad. Either. I, I think they even out if that makes sense in some, in some areas. Worth the wait. It took you a while to put it together, but I like the way you know. put things together, man. But I mean, what, what, what would you say about that? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't really know Ben at all. Okay. I know yeah. Tanner. I, I had a chance to train with Tanner years ago, man. I went out to Dallas with my wife. Um, she had some, business related thing there and i ended up yep. linking up with robert najedley and danny okay. gillian an arm wrestler out in that area had a training and it was awesome man like tommy jennings was there all of the bigger arm wrestlers from that area were there um and 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 you had tanner was there um it, it was dude it was probably 25 30 people and you know i mean watching tanner just like coming through the door you know, with these fingers that hang down to the ground. And I thought, like, it's kind of like E.T., you know, like walking in, like this big shadowy figure with, you know, these giant fucking piano fingers, you know. But watching him walk over to the inch dumbbell, pick it up, open a beer, chug the whole beer, 
put it down and then put the inch bell down without even warming up or anything. I was like, oh, so it's going to be that kind of night, huh? You know, yeah. he's I, he's a freak, man. No, he is. And, and Ben is, to Ben's credit, Ben is the same way. Now, maybe slightly different areas, but right. that's why I think that matchup would be a lot of fun because Tanner's obviously so well-known. Ben is kind of like newer, but right. he's cleaning Blobzilla, other stuff like that. He's pulled 500 pounds on an axle at 220 body weight. So right. I'm just saying there's areas where Ben could clip Tanner, and it would be interesting if we could come up with a lineup out of four or five events that, like, I don't know who's yeah. going to win this because certain things might lean one way or the other, and we just let it play out. I got an idea, and it's not okay. a serious one, so don't take it seriously. Okay. But Grip Genie now makes, like, this penis – like you, dude i <laughs> so 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 you have that v bar little big horn and the jug and you call it ding dong of grip no james i'm not going for that one i'm not okay no 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 uh no resin no resin eggplant grip tool <laughs> devices will be bought or will be pushed on my show oh, um okay. Okay, that's and I'm, that's sure, and I'm yeah, sure Jason yeah. Jason Dingy's going to get a good laugh out of that because he knows that <laughs> I am I am anti the eggplant and all that other bullshit that gets put hey, out. So look, anyway, yeah, I'm with you, know. you, man. I'm with you. Thanks, yeah. thanks for uh, pushing the idea, though. But no, <laughs> Jason's a fucking freak, huh? He's unbelievably strong. Jason needs to be in a super match. Who's going against Jason? No, yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't I don't want to hold you up too much, James. Man, we've been rolling yeah. so long. But right. uh, was there anything else? Because I can't even remember. Like, this was one of those conversations where I don't even know if we touched on what we wanted to. Man, or... we pretty much hit everything from kind of uh, your beginning to arm wrestling to trans, uh, you know, transitioning to grip, you know, meeting Bob, your crew there, hosting competitions, different people. Um, we, we've covered the steroid thing, the documentary. We, we we really, I think, hit most of our bullet points, and then probably screwed around a little bit on. Well, I hope know, so. On the other side, so you um, can't take life too seriously, Zach. I'm not trying to, but yeah, sometimes right. it happens. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, James. Uh, any any final words for the people? Uh, the people. Um, uh, <laughs> live long and prosper, people. Okay, so yeah. that's it. I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm literally going to leave it with that. That's it. <laughs>